0: You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy Seven and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast, your complete cards coverage here with a post-Combine show. Uh, I'm the co-host of the show, Blake Murphy on Twitter, at Blake Murphy7. Joined by, uh, as Walter coined last week, JTD, the venerable John, venerable aka at Johnny Touchdown. Uh, As always, my co-host on the show, John, how are you tonight and how was your Combine viewing experience in prime time?
1: Uh, It was great, Blake. We were just talking about it off air it was the first time in what seems like goodness three different combines where I was able to sit back and relax and watch the majority of the top tier prospects and think hey there's a possibility five or sixty of these guys could be considered with the eighth overall pick instead of having to sweat out countless quarterbacks that you may or may not want dating back to 2016-2017 so it's a good feeling having Kyler Murray in the fold and being able to just sit back and Maybe go BPA, but honestly, uh, I enjoyed the primetime schedule. Uh, I think it was only a matter of time uh, until they put it in primetime, and now I, you know, look forward to move to the West Coast at some point soon. I would think.
0: Yeah, we know from what they said that it was a 119 percent increase in viewership, which means that this new format is here to stay. Uh, I know that there was a lot of feedback that the agility drills, especially those for the wide receivers, were probably not that favorable. Some wide receivers ran surprising or didn't run the agility drills at all. It was almost, I believe, 9.30 to 11 p.m. for some of them way back east by the time that they finished and wrapped up. Uh, It seems, John, like the Combine might actually be on the move. I heard talk that with the new stadium open in Los Angeles, moving it to the West Coast for an earlier start for the East Coast would make a lot of sense, especially considering that the new NFL headquarters is probably going to be located in that building as well. I think that'd be a draw for a lot of people in the West Coast, although it'd be a a bit of a negative for those who like the centrally located Indianapolis place, and it's going to say goodbye to a lot of great steakhouses (laughs) and places where people could uh, rub shoulders with the NFL elites if that is the case
1: yeah and you know what it's it's unfortunate too because it's one of the last things that's going to consistently have a kind of a Midwest feel to it that I don't know if the draft will ever go back to the Midwest it certainly sounds like um, the Packers are going to have a shot at it but that hasn't really been confirmed yet Um, so you see in Vegas and Dallas and some of these other marquee cities so having it in kind of lowly Indianapolis um, you know I grew up roughly four or five hours from that location. I've been to the old stadium. Um, it's nice to just kind of be centrally located, I'm sure. But I, I know for a fact they want to be able to reward Stan Kroenke for building that palace he's building out in Los Angeles. They want to do parts of the combine outside, which makes sense. I don't know if that would include a live audience or not, which would add a, a whole other factor into it. But, um, yeah, it just I think it's only a matter of time until they're out there with – the NFL network and you know, all that good stuff on the West coast. But at least for this year, it was enjoyable watching it. Is it Lucas oil stadium still, yep, or is it that someplace? Okay.
0: it's, it's the house that Peyton built. We all know that, but uh, right. it's not anything changed from that. So. What did
1: it used to be called? Do you remember what their old stadium used to be called? Uh,
0: that would require was, a Google. Honestly, it
1: was, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. I watched Manning play the chargers there in 2004. Uh, one of their years in their heyday, and I remember thinking this they could probably replace this ah, place I think good.
0: it was the, uh, that tells you how dated it is, the RCA Dome. So RCA is like the VCR tapes and other type of VHS uh, technology. Uh, Originally it was the Hoosier Dome, which makes sense for Indianapolis. Sometimes those old names never truly go away in some places, but that was the old dome stadium that you had for them. Like uh, still back here in Arizona, a lot of people still think of, you know, the Bob or University of Phoenix Stadium is still going to kind of trend, even if a lot of people call it just Cardinals Stadium after a Mm -hmm. while. So. Uh, before we dive into the combine coverage, breaking down... If you down haven't turned, the, up,
1: oh. turned it off already because you're... <laughs> yeah like,
0: it's like why are we talking about rca and the colts names of domes it's like yeah, it's, it's it's a little nfl history i guess or uh for those of you we're not having to talk at least about you know the uh, old cardinals edwards jones stadium or sun devil stadium uh before we dive into the combine breakdown uh, who are the uh it's hard to say winners and losers just because the guys work so hard to be able to just get to that invitation to get there and then you go and get called a loser after you know you end up running a four six after all of the work and training you put through. We'll call it Stock Up and Stock Down. Remember, it's also Draft Stock. There's a lot of players who go into the NFL Combine, have productive careers. It's more than a lot of cases, John. I think it's almost a test box for a lot of players to see, is this player what we thought of them or are there things we need to change our minds about? It's not something that I think is an end-all, be-all, but it's still a very important step of the scouting process. And in a lot of cases, it's less... Uh, I guess you can say people runs a 4-3, expected a 4-4, and his stock just balloons. It's more of people coming in line in the media to what NFL scouts have already known.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You want the workout to re-encourage or redefine what you've seen on film, Um, and I think that several prospects did that. Then you have that group of individuals that their performance doesn't necessarily translate from what you've seen on film, good or bad. So you've got always got those those combine warriors who have you know phenomenal level setting days where they're at the top of the leaderboard at every you know drill, but their tape is just kind of average. They're an average football player, but they might be overdrafted based on their measurables. We've seen that time and time again. Aaron Curry from um, Seattle always, I think he I can't remember where he went to college, but I remember he, he had no business going top five. He blew up the combine. Um, and he was a huge bust in Seattle. Um, just names like that where it's just like you have no business being where you've been drafted, and then you could go back to, say, somebody like Anquan Bolden with the Cardinals who had first-round tape at the collegiate level and then ran a 4 7 and dropped to the mm-hmm. second round and is a borderline future Hall of Famer. So there are instances like that, um, but I, I think what we've seen in terms of the top-tier prospects um, going into this weekend outside of one or two, and we'll get to those really kind of solidified themselves as the tape matches the combine performance. Hopefully the interview process went well. You know, you're a, you're a blue chip prospect. You're a top 12 to 15 lock at this point. Uh, and that's good news for the Cardinals. There was not, um, if we jump right into it, there wasn't a CD lamb implosion. There wasn't a Jerry Judy or a Tristan were or a Jerry or a Jeff Acuda implosion, um, there was a certain defensive tackle that didn't live up to to the hype, but for the most part, the Cardinals still have uh, as many options as they did uh, pre-combine as they do post-combine, which is a good feeling to beat.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're feeling that there's a lot more talent than just the first seven picks in the draft, which is a reassuring for a lot of Cardinals fans. Uh, let's go in and start with the position groups, at least starting with the quarterbacks. About before we get to the quarterbacks at the Combine, let's talk about some of the QB carousel in the NFL because that will, in a lot of ways, determine where some of these quarterbacks go. So some news coming out of the Combine. People are still not quite sure where Tom Brady is the Biggest takeaway is that a lot of people are very, very much convinced that he's going to be leaving the New England Patriots. Some people are very dialed in, whether that's Brady's camp saying, oh, no, we'll leave, we'll leave, we'll leave, I promise we're leaving, or if it's just a case of... uh, a well, couple of years of the Patriots and that dynasty and a lot of people crediting Belichick where Brady wanted the credit people crediting Brady where Belichick just feels like it was, you know, Hey, you're nothing without me, Tom. Do you think this is heading for an inevitable divorce? And if it is, where would be your most likely destination for Tom terrific to go?
1: I think he's going to stay. I think that this is just a sense of him wanting to feel like the franchise is doing what they need to do in the off season to, reposition themselves as contenders I think that the division is improving and so you can't co I mean they lost to Miami week 17 in a, in a must-win game um, their personnel offensively is not what it needs to be either they've lost key players up front they lost Dante Skarniecki their offensive line coach so I think it's basically Tom calling New England and Bill's bluff and saying that you know I'll, I'll go test the market unless you guys make it clear I think it's less about prioritizing Tom. I think Tom knows, and it's been reported, like if he wants to come back, they're going to bring him back and they'll do kind of a year-to-year thing. But Tom wants weapons. He wants protection. He sees what we've all seen over the course of the last, really the two-year renaissance of these mobile, elite, offensive juggernauts, quarterbacks, and Mahomes and Watson, now Lamar, hopefully Kyler Murray, these guys that have these explosive receiving cores and backfields and all this good stuff. And yes, Tom's 43 years old and he's immobile, but you know, I don't think his arm is deteriorated as much as people would say. He keeps himself in tremendous condition. That's, you know, an understatement. And so it's like, why aren't we aggressive and going out and trading for the Odell Beckhams or going out and signing, you know, perimeter weapons or beefing up our offensive line? Because we know Bill can coach defense and they've actually, you utilized a lot of the resources on the defensive side, Stephen Gilmore, a lot of their draft picks. So, and then their offensive draft picks, Nikhil Harry. As much as we loved him, was a disappointment. Um, the running back they took a couple of years ago has not been anything to write home about. They traded his second round pick for Muhammad Sanu. That was underwhelming. So, I really, I think Tom stays in New England. Um, I think that they, I think he's probably got two years left max, um, and I think they work something out. And I immediately see them probably addressing his understudy in the draft but then also going out and being aggressive, maybe for a Robbie Anderson, maybe for an Austin Hooper in free agency to kind of give it one last shot that they can go out and get some, some receiving help. Um, if I had to go with a plan B, um, everybody, the trending pick is is Tennessee. I think that's the only other place he would go based on his familiarity with Mike variable. They're legitimately close friends. Tennessee is built to win. Now you could argue at every position outside of quarterback. They've got one of the most explosive players in all of football, and Derek Henry, assuming he returns. A.J. Brown is an ascending player a receiver. Mm-hmm. They've got some nice complementary pieces. So I would probably go 75% New England and 25% Tennessee, Blake.
0: Yeah, I think that it feels very much like Tom's got the world on a string and he enjoys it. So the head and the heart seem to say that he's going to be going back to the Patriots, but just – Looking at if there is another option outside of those, the Titans, like you said, make a lot of sense. It's a playoff team. They already have the elite defense. You're probably going to be able to either bring back Derrick Henry or bring in another one of those running backs to be able to pair with Tom. The question I have is, and this is kind of the dark horse in the race, is everyone knows that John Gruden has kind of been looking to move off of Derek Carr for a few years now. There's been reports that they would offer the 43-year-old quarterback a two-year, $60 million fully guaranteed deal. That'd be $30 million a year for two years. You would expect that that probably would end up being around if the CBA is opened up what Tom would be worth if this is pre new CBA that's a heck of a lot of money that they would be throwing down for their Vegas uh, entry that would be the one kind of dark horse I could see because it might just be one of those cases of Gruden hey Tom like get, get bud like I don't know you like when a Super Bowl will come on over here to the Raiders and help us with Vegas and I think that would be one that I'd give a small chance to but the tough thing like you said John not a playoff team last year. Their defense is still pretty young overall. It would be essentially more about chasing the money for that, and I don't believe that Tom Brady is that type of guy. I think he's a guy who wants to win championships, and if he is going to move off of New England, it's going to be either because, hey, he just wants to do something new. Tennessee would make the most amount of sense. Now, that would obviously, let's say, that if you did move to a team like Tennessee or Las Vegas, suddenly would shift Ryan Tannehill into the free agent market. So, couple of the other teams that you'd have that would need quarterbacks now uh, would be teams like, you know, the uh, let's talk about the Buccaneers, the Bears. Some people have wondered whether the Indianapolis Colts are looking for that. Cam Newton status as uh, well as up in the air. What would you feel like would be kind of some of the places for different quarterbacks of teams? Let's go from the Pats to, let's say that Tom Brady signs with the Titans. Who would take over the Pats job then? What are some of the quarterbacks you could see envisioning in that role?
1: Man, I think that's the hardest to predict. We've seen in the media that Belichick would have interest in maybe like an Andy Dalton. I can't buy that at all. Um, I think they would go the veteran QB route year to year with somebody safe, um, like a Tannehill. Uh, Tannehill, say what you want about him. He doesn't turn the ball over all that often. And then I think Bill would make a, a move to go up and get a quarterback. He obviously, if he's playing this um, this close to the, to the vest and has not been super proactive in their talks with Brady and trying to get this locked down. That leads me to believe that he either likes somebody that's obtainable within this draft in the 20s, maybe Jacob Eason, maybe a Jordan Love, or he he has his sights set on, you know, a free agent to be quarterback. But it's just that is the biggest unknown. We've never seen them succeed without each other. Um, Whereas I think Tom could do it immediately, um, depending on the team he goes to. I think it would be tougher for Bill because of the fact that they are under the, the gun. I mean, the roster is not what it used to be. Defensively, yes, they have, you know, tremendous personnel. But offensively, I mean, you make an argument on the surface after this this free agent period in the draft, the Cardinals could have more offensive weaponry than than New England has. I, mean, I think true, Christian true. Kirk is, is, is superior. I think, how many years are we talking about New England wanting to try to get Larry Fitzgerald? So, I mean... They're they're probably honestly similar in that regard, but Sony Michelle was the running back earlier. I was trying to think of he's been a huge disappointment, so um, Mm. it would be difficult. I would say just a Dalton, a Tannehill, somebody on a one year with a two year with a second year option, and I I would have to assume that Bill would be super aggressive and get one if not multiple QBs in the draft. That is just I can't even fathom who they would go after, what their plan would be. That's the hardest one.
0: Yeah, for me, I think that there's been connections that people have heard to a guy like a Marcus Mariota, which would be a guy on a cheap deal. Some have connected Teddy Bridgewater, much more of a cerebral pocket quarterback. I do have a feeling that there could be a dark horse, and maybe this is me just being a little crazy, but I wonder if Bill would consider... If the Bucks move on from Jameis Winston, could he end up waiting for the market to kind of crash a little bit around as all these other quarterbacks have the musical chairs? Jameis is left out there. He kind of gives him a two-year incentivized deal. Suddenly, Jameis, after this post lasik surgery, he's able to see, you know, the linebackers in <laughs> underneath coverage, or maybe it's gonna be the same old turnover prone Jameis. He's obviously got more upside, I believe, as a passer than probably any other quarterback on the market. Now, the caveat being, with the turnovers that he has, that's not Bill's style of football. So like you said, I could very well see either Teddy or Tannehill being the quarterback that ends up in New England, if that is the case. It'd be fascinating to see if there was a swap that took place because, as we saw last year, Brady and that offensive efficiency just went downhill. Tannehill was a very efficient quarterback for the Titans. I think that Bill could get back to the playoffs Um, We'll have to see how Josh Allen goes. If he's able to have as good of a defense as he did last year and improve the offense, that could be another division winner that's sitting right there. Uh, One of the curious cases that I have, at least right now, is the case of the Indianapolis Colts, who have been linked to both Phillip Rivers and several draft picks, including Jordan Love, who we'll be able to talk about. That seems to be the most likely destination for Rivers, just given the fact that he knows guys on their staff previously, including Frank Reich. That would leave the Tampa Bay Buccaneers a bit out in the cold. John, do you think there's anyone else who would head to Indy? And if that's the case, what would the Bucks likely be doing at quarterback? Because it's hard to see Bruce drafting and developing a quarterback that he'd have to take at 14 without you know, having to make a major massive trade-up or just taking one of those guys in the second or third tier.
1: I think the the Indianapolis. I, I actually don't think they're going to go heavy into the veteran market because I at this point I think Kobe Brissett has a higher ceiling than Phil Rivers does at this point. Are we sure? I Philip don't. Rivers I don't know if the Colts.
0: I it feels well, like he is but I don't know if the Colts feel like he's totally done and I especially doesn't feel like Bruce believes he's done. He spoke glowingly of Rivers despite the fact that you feel like he'd be taking a step down as far as the same amount of turnovers well, but less arm strength and touchdowns but m- maybe uh, that's just the veteran quarterback that he can reignite like Palmer was.
1: Well, here's my thought process is this is uh, I think Indy's going to take a quarterback. I think they're going to maneuver and go up and get one because I feel like they think they're in a position where They could be the next Kansas City with their roster. The rebuild is almost complete. They've got a playoff-level roster. They just don't have a quarterback to steer it near there. They they look like a Baltimore that's ready to explode with the kind of personnel that they have, specifically up front on both lines of scrimmage. I think, yeah, Phillip Rivers could go somewhere for a year or two. I think the most likely scenario for Tampa, because the more and more we hear about Oakland or Las Vegas— the more that the, the Raiders are evaluating everything when it comes to Derek Carr, mm. I'm, I listened to pretty consistent um, media people in San Francisco. John Middlecoff is is a is a great listen, and they've covered it extensively. He and Guy Haberman, and and basically like they're going to try to find an upgrade this off season in many different fashions. And Gruden is very much year to year with Carr, and they tried to move off of him last year. They kicked the Tigers on. Kyler Murray, they considered Dwayne Haskins. And Carr's people understand that, you know, this is a business and you've been paid well and maybe a fresh start's best for everybody. I think Bruce Arians' first choice this offseason, regardless of the draft or free agency or whatever, is to somehow obtain Derek Carr for, say, a second-round pick. I think he looks at Derek because, remember, he liked Derek when the Cardinals had um, – him in their on their big board in 2014 they ended up going with they Buchanan but they they mm. had conversations about taking De- Derek Carr now you look at Derek again he's not, he's very cost-controlled he's year-to-year the guaranteed money is not crazy he's under contract he's still under 30 years old he's got a huge arm he's mobile he doesn't make mistakes like Jameis you can also almost say that he's conservative. Yeah. Over you know? overly
0: conservative. A lot but of people call have called check down ish, unfortunately, but, but he did
1: have his best year with Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. And if, if Tampa has anything, they have tremendous weaponry. This is true. Um, Ari- Arians will be able, I think to get him back to where he was in his borderline MVP season before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. I think that that is, if you had a gun to Bruce's head, I think that would be his first choice. Now, does Oakland make a move? pre-draft or do they take like a Jordan love and just let Carr come back for one more season and get the, you know, the, the situation ready for love in 2021. I don't know how that plays out. If I had to guess, I would say that this is Derek's last year with, with Las Vegas, with the Raiders. If it's his final year at all, like he's either going Mm -hmm. one more year or he's done right now. And I think Arians would give up, um, probably the most of any team to, to, to get Derek Carr. That's everything that I've been led to believe is that that would be the ideal landing spot. And boy, it certainly sounds like he's using his leverage with Jameis because they, he has not spoken <laughs> loin, loyally of him at all throughout the duration of this off season.
0: Yeah, it seems like that would be one of those career reinvigorations when you get to go as Derek Carr from having. Uh, Terrence Williams and a fifth round draft pick uh, (laughs) uh, and Hunter Renfro to suddenly having Mike Evans and Chris Godwin on either side and the fact that the Tampa Bay is probably going to either draft a running back or look for a back at some point to add to that weaponry. Um, they're also going to be likely adding a tackle. I could see a situation where if they're not able to get Carr, Jacob Eason's the guy with the big arm, not as accurate downfield, but again, you're going to be probably looking in Bruce's system, a guy who he's going to want to push the ball downfield. That would probably be their backup plan, but I could see them going potentially tackle, running back, and suddenly then you're talking about having... Derek Carr with some more protection, with a multitude of weapons. Not to mention they still have two very good tight ends there as well. That may be the ticket for Bruce to try to get back to the playoffs amidst a team where the Falcons are kind of keeping the status quo. The Panthers are going through what seems to be a total teardown. And the Saints are coming off of their second postseason loss with a, I uh, believe, what is it, 41 Drew, year old Drew Brees, who uh, they're kind of having to use their trick shot quarterback to create a deep passing game, unfortunately. We got a couple of teams that are there left. The biggest one I can see, at least, it's, uh, overall, is the Chicago Bears. Should they either be honest about Trubisky? The one that stands out the most here seems to be Andy Dalton. They're uh, looking to trade him from Cincy. This could be another Jameis destination. I It's hard to see where Jameis could end up fitting, especially if a Tannehill or a Mariota or a Bridgewater end up going to New England should Tom leave. I don't know if Carolina is going to have to figure out what they're doing with Cam Newton. They're probably more likely to take on a backup slash spot starter. Don't believe they would be the ones to take on Jameis there as part of the rebuild. Matt Rule seems to be much more of that culture, character building guy. Bringing a guy in like Jameis doesn't really seem to fit when you already have a Cam Newton. What do you think about the Bears and also the San Diego Chargers who I think it's almost a very open secret that had he been in the draft in 2019, Chargers were probably taking Justin Herbert, the quarterback out of Oregon. Doesn't seem like things have changed as much this year. What are your thoughts on the Bears and the Chargers, John?
1: I think the Bears are stuck with Trubisky. They've come out and said they support him. I think that the only kind of competition is not going to come via the draft. It's going to come like with a Mariota, somebody who is not going to challenge him out of the gate. I mean you bring it they they can't afford Derek Carr to begin with. It doesn't work out cap wise, but you bring in like a a Rivers a competent or more than competent starter, uh you're not competing with, with Mitch. Mitch is he's out at that point and they don't want to do that. Uh, they've been adamant about that. So it's gonna be even like a Dalton I would say has accomplished more than Mitch has. So I think it would be a Mariota S type of quarterback, you know, if Fitzpatrick was available if Miami didn't bring him back, I could see that'd be a good place for him to land. He usually does well in the backup role that eventually he supplants the starter. Uh, We've seen that so many times over again. I do think um, with regard to uh, what was the second team you had Blake bears and um, oh, the
0: chargers
1: chargers. I think, I think they're going to get aggressive. I think they could be a sleeper team for Tua. Um, I think they're going to navigate, move up if they have to Um, really, they only have to get to pick, Three. I think this this um, notion that two to Washington, I think, is kind of smoke right now to get a team to give up their entire draft class to come up and and take two or Herbert. Um, I think the Chargers will be aggressive, and if they don't, they took Drew Brees in the second round and had a lot of success. I know it's not the same uh, franchise, or excuse me, the same um, front office, but it's the same ownership. So if they go, maybe tackle. Uh, in the top five could they come back and take uh, you know one of these second tier quarterbacks trade back into the first round um, but anybody they get's going to be a bridge but I think they feel like again similar to Indy like they've got a big time ready to contend roster I don't think you move off of Phillip Rivers to get another veteran quarterback I think they want to go young they want to maximize you know the everybody wants to do what Kansas City and Houston and these contending teams are doing and then that's maximizing the rookie contract Dak and and Dallas, what they've done over the course of the last five years and what Arizona hopes to be doing now with Murray in the fold. um, I think that's the way the Chargers are leaning. Listen, the Cardinals fumbled this for so many years, but other teams recognize you pick that high. You don't want to be back there, and you don't expect to be back there. Get your franchise quarterback, your young franchise quarterback, if you don't have one already. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration lies with Detroit. you got a 31-year-old quarterback who's had some health concerns, picking third overall in a quarterback rich draft. And you're not going to, you know, even consider one of the second tier options, a quarterback being Tua or Herbert. So I-, I think there's a very slim chance. They don't enter exit this, this draft with Herbert Tua, Jordan love Jacob Eason and, and, and go into the season, at least with one of them competing for the starting job. Cause that team's ready to, I think compete for a wild card spot.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you there. The curious case that I will see is, honestly, if the Dolphins are able to land a quarterback, does Josh Rosen and his camp try to demand a trade to move to a different team, or are they going to be content to take a backup job? Are they going to be content as the third-string quarterback? That is going to be something I'll be fascinated to try to see, John, because it's really hard for me to be able to see the Dolphins getting a quarterback while keeping Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen on their team, at least for that. It just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, let's briefly go over the quarterbacks that we had at the Combine. Uh, you had a couple of guys who at least seemed to be some standout players overall. Uh, even though you didn't have the main story, obviously Joe Burrow, it seems like some of the news that he may not want to be in since he has since calmed down. That is one of the biggest stories that you got to see. To attack of Iloa's medicals, nothing checked out was a bit different. The one talk was... You had a strange kind of mixed feeling where half the scouts in the NFL seemed to be like, hey, we think that he's probably going to go in the top two because the team's going to trade up for him. And then there's some that we're almost going, hey, he may, we're not as high on him as maybe the rest of the NFL is. We think he's more of one of those guys who would go in the maybe 10 to 14 range for that one. It'll be interesting to see how that works. Um, and then for the Cardinals, you had Jalen Hurts running the second fastest 40 time, a 4.59. Some people mentioned if he's a day three pick, I think he'll go a bit higher than that. Chicago seems to make sense with Nagy and the mobile quarterbacks. Yep. Uh, that one seems to be there. The other one that's interesting also to me is you always have to, with Cliff Kingsbury, watch all of these late, like round six, round seven quarterbacks. Last year, the Cardinals were very much looking for one of those guys who is a spread offensive player, went in the sixth round, turned out to be Gardner Minshew. The Jaguars ended up taking Minshew ahead of the Cardinals. Cardinal shifted to Drew Anderson. That would have been fascinating if that had been your essential backup, at least for the most part. You have one other guy, or I think you should say two other quarterbacks that may be interesting to look at. You've got Cole McDonald, the quarterback from Hawaii. You're talking about those type of... Eh, Almost like, not quite air raid, but that heavy passing attack that they have. He's got some tremendous production that you have at Hawaii from McDonald. And he ran the fastest 40 at 4.58 at the Combine. I don't think the Cardinals would be looking at drafting a player like him or a pick. I think that it would make more sense for them to take one of those guys if they're going to use him like the Chris Streveler and be able to use that mobility and keep a veteran. Um, I'll be interested to see where the Case Chase and Brett end up. You got Case Keenum is seemingly a guy that the Cleveland Browns are looking at, as well as the Cincinnati Bengals. And Chase Daniels, another guy who could be on the move after starting some in Chicago. What was your takeaway from the quarterbacks at the Combine, John? And is there anything that you can take away for the Cards? Because I really think it hinges on, are there going to be three quarterbacks before the Cardinals pick? Could we see four? Is that asking for too much to have the Cardinals see four quarterbacks go before they pick? What were some of your thoughts on the Combine QBs?
1: I, I think the Cardinals are in a great position like they have been since the end of the regular season to have a plethora of quality players outside of quarterback fall to them at pick eight because of the fact that and I keep going back to the 2018 draft where the Cardinals were one of those teams aggressively trying to go up for a QB and then you saw premium level talent fall to the other non-QB needing teams you have Cleveland up there and the Jets and the Bills and the Cardinals traded up and Baltimore, of course, taking Lamar at the end of the first. I just, this is going to be that type of first round. Maybe not with five first round quarterbacks, but I, I, I think I don't think there's anybody right now that doesn't believe Jordan Love is going to be a first round quarterback that he doesn't have the skill set to at least come in on a contending team and be the quarterback in waiting. Who that quarterback or that team is, maybe it's a Dallas somebody like that. I don't know, but I, I think there there would have to be something drastically happen over the course of the next two months for burrow Tua, and justin herbert not to go in the top 10 not only because of the prospects they are but also because of the teams that are picking there we just mentioned san diego you know when you've got washington debating now whether or not whether it's realistic or not they're going to take Tua second overall then you really get to the point where do people become ultra aggressive to get up to number three to get justin herbert burrow wow. is the un- un- Unchallenged first overall pick, like you mentioned. Now that that Cincinnati has a good feel that he will sign with them, we always felt like Tua would would be that first overall pick before he got hurt. And then coming into this year, I think most people thought had Justin Herbert declared last year, he would have been an early round pick, not early round, early in the first round pick. I think he would. We were hoping back when we thought we were <laughs> we were picking in the top ten, and Nick Bosa was in our heads and. I think we were thinking, you know, Justin Herbert, push him up there and drop some good players down for the Cardinals. Uh, Majority of people thought that Herbert would be a top 16 pick last year. So none of those three, those aren't, those aren't players coming out of the blue outside of Burrow. And that's locked. That's a lock. You can write that in today. They can start negotiating the contract. So uh, that that's three spots in the seven picks before Arizona. That is, that is a gift from the gods. And now they're going to be in a position where. It's so many scenarios in years prior. It's like, man, I really hope X player falls to us. What happens if we don't get X player? Are we going to have to trade down? Do we need to trade up to secure them? This is going to be the first time that I can remember, based on where they're drafting, specifically in the top 10, where they're going to have to pick from probably three or four players that are that will warrant the eighth overall pick. And that just that does not happen. And it's a good place to be in. And so I would just give Cardinal fans some some solace in saying that, you know, don't worry about how many quarterbacks go in the first round. But just if we can get those three individuals in the the top seven, then the Cardinals are going to walk away with a really high impact caliber player that's going to produce for them, hopefully in year one. But outside of that, you know, this this class to me, it's very top heavy. I think there's a big drop off. I'm not a Jake Fromm fan. I, I think Hertz is a heck of an athlete. I don't know. I don't want to doubt him and I don't want to be that guy, but I, I just, I think he's much more of a, a runner than a thrower, but he's, I think he, as a capable backup, maybe you give him a chance to compete in like a mm-hmm. Chicago. I think that would be a nice fit that you just mentioned. Eason love. I, I don't think the productions there, especially with Eason, um, So this is this is a class I wouldn't if I was the Cardinals and I'm looking for a developmental player, I would go the undrafted route. I would keep Brett Hundley. I thought he did a really I mean, the guy helped him uh, win at Seattle and looked very competent in doing so and has won a lot of people over in that locker room, um, including Cliff Kingsbury. So I would stand Mm -hmm. pat and just get more weaponry and defensive help for for Murray and and wait on a developmental guy, you know, day three and maybe till next year.
0: Yeah, unless Jalen Hurts falls to say, like, let's say you're like, wow, Hurts is still overall here. Fifth round, I think, would be fine. Which, they don't have a fifth round pick, and most likely, because of the athleticism, the fact that he's got all of the smarts, there's questions that a lot of people will have about him. One thing that you can't really question about him is that he is a tremendous character, tremendous leader. He seems like he's one of those guys who may end up being like that Drew Stanton type years from now who ends up, hey, like he retires with a winning record as a quarterback and is one of the smartest guys who goes into coaching or is one of those people who in a couple of years were like, oh, hey, look, there's Jalen Hurts and he's up in the booth, you know, with like a new ESPN or someone like that. I could see that being the case for him. Uh, someone recommended and said that it's almost like you're kind of looking at the guy if like if tim tebow had played in the big 12 because and i think honestly Hertz is a better quarterback than tebow was at least coming out he understood a lot more coverages he's much more i think gifted in terms of his reads maybe the accuracy is a little bit inflated from some of the coverage and apparently deep but i think that's the spot for the cards is to keep humbling now i will say this If they are able to move on from Brett Helmley to Case Keenum, the biggest benefit I could see is if Keenum signs, let's say, a two-year deal with the team, essentially you'd be potentially looking at maybe as much as a four years with the team because I think he could immediately step in as Cliff's quarterback's coach right off the bat where he would just essentially become that type of guy, a mentor. He's been with Cliff for almost like, I think at least like 15 years or so they've had that relationship and connection. So I think that would be one of the things, or maybe that's what Kingsbury decides to do. I would be fine keeping a guy like Hunley who's already shown some of the mobility. It's a little bit younger and has familiarity with Clements. But like you said, John, I would not be one of those people who would look to say that the Cardinals need to go out and bring in a backup quarterback, especially out of the guys of this group and at this point in time. Uh, I think you'd be much better suited putting those uh, those resources somewhere else. Uh, let's go and talk with the day one. So we've got our stock up and stock down. Uh, I think the fact that Justin Herbert played, but a lot of the stock that seemed to go up was for Jordan Love, where some people had him even mocked as high as like number six or number seven. He was from a smaller school. The best example that I can see that someone described him as it's it's kind of like you're watching a Colin Kaepernick as far as the mobility without the running, and it's like you're watching a guy who can make some of those crazy amazing throws that Pat Mahomes can make, but can't do it off script. Meaning like he, he, Mahomes is the guy who he'll, he'll buy, he'll extend time, whip it back, and you're like, how, how did he see that? He he made an incredible throw. Love is not really that guy. The guy who I think he reminds me a little of, honestly, is a little bit of Josh Allen in him, if I'm going to be perfectly honest, because there's enough mobility. The difference, obviously, is Allen was a much better scrambling quarterback, and it's hard to see some of that from Love. I I feel like this is that guy who maybe he goes very, very late first if there's a team that's desperate for a quarterback, but I could see this as being a case where, unless there's one team that really, really likes him, or if the Miami Dolphins say, hey, we got... How many first round picks? We're not going to get Herbert for that one because we're going to get Tua. Oh wait, someone else took Tua. Well, here's our backup plan. What are some of your thoughts on Love? Because he got a lot of talk around the combine, and I still have just never been able to truly see it with him.
1: Well, first of all, if Danny Dimes can go top, what was that? Five last year. Jordan Love, top six. Love can, top
0: six. Yeah. yeah,
1: top six. Jordan Love can go in the top ten. He's got better physical tools. Uh, he played it. I guess you could say he played at a lesser conference, but he had the numbers two years ago. Now that I think they went through a coaching change and they had some turmoil within the collegiate program. So his numbers took a huge tumble this year. Uh, his completion percentage went down His touchdowns, his interceptions went up. So I, I think majority of his production and he had some buzz coming out of 2018. He threw 32 touchdowns to six interceptions was the conference player of the year. Um, Grew up in Bakersfield, California, so I could see uh, the interest from, let's say, the the, the LA Chargers. Kind of a, a hometown kid. Bakersfield's what, like forty five minutes from Los Angeles. So um, I, I think he's he's going to be a first round pick. Like you mentioned, he's not a runner per se. He didn't have the running numbers that like a Kaepernick did, or goodness, even nobody has Kyler Murray's rushing stats. But you know, you you know what I mean. I mean, he's almost like a little bit more of an athletic. Jacoby Brissett and Jacoby went, I believe, the third round, um, right. and so I I think today's game is is built for him to come in and be a a quality starter. Is he ever going to be elite player? I don't know, but mm-hmm. you know, the Chargers generally go the safe route, right? And so I, I could see that, but I certainly could see. I mean, you look at some of the teams, Blake, that are picking in the in the twenties that don't have air appearance at quarterback, like. Green Bay Packers with with Rodgers getting up there in age. Maybe the Vikings would look at yeah, him as the, a solution. The Packers are test.
0: sneaky because they were very interested in Drew Locke last year. Very interested in Drew Locke. And turned out that the Denver Broncos got him. He's looked very good. If yeah, they think, think that they can develop him as the guy behind Rodgers for two or three years, that would be the sneaky one. I, I still think that they're going to look at the window that they have look at a linebacker or a wide receiver because those are clearly bigger needs but it wouldn't shock me any- look at all the
1: teams in the in the playoffs that will probably look for their next quarterback uh minnesota one more year kirk cousins let's say tennessee runs it back with Tannehill on like a front-loaded deal like the cardinals just did with humphreys like who's to say they don't bring in a, a rookie quarterback to to learn for a year under Tannehill? Um, Indianapolis, of course, was a fringe playoff team. We just mentioned the Chargers, who have, who have a playoff caliber roster. It just didn't get the quarterback play. There are a ton of teams, I think, that could pluck him anywhere between, like, let's say, like pick twenty-one to to thirty. New, uh, New England, shoot, New England could be a team that that's in that running. So he's not getting out of the first round. I don't buy top ten hype right now because I, I just think that. After Herbert goes, when Herbert goes, and I think Herbert's a superior prospect, you know, Rolls Bowl, all that good stuff, all American. I just, he's got a better body of work against the higher level of competition. Say what you want about the, about, about the Pac-10 or the Pac-12 or whatever you call it. I just think there are going to be too many high-end caliber players that fall to specific teams like a Carolina that... They're going to have to look themselves in the eye and say, like, yeah, we like Jordan Love, but we can get the best tackle in this draft. We can get the best corner, the best linebacker. Jordan Love's what? The fourth or fifth best quarterback. So he's going to go somewhere in the first round, and he's probably going to have more success than a lot of these other players early on, like we've seen with these quarterbacks like a Lamar that go late, that go to a team that's seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven, that just need that kind of extra oomph from a young quarterback. So, uh, you know, I'm a fan. I think you could have success, but you know, I, I just, I was happy that he performed well because that's another player. I mean, that's, that's going to be, you know, second round territory for the Cardinals. It's going to push a a first round caliber player down and we're going to, we're going to be looking at that individual best case scenario on day two. So, I mean, more quarterbacks, the the better, but I, I don't, I don't buy top 10 per se just because of the gluttony of other quarterbacks. In the top 10. I mean, Danny Dimes went six, like you just mentioned, because there was such a significant drop off after Kyler Murray and the Giants would have rather have taken him with their what 19th pick. But they didn't want to wait 13th picks for 13 picks for that to take place. There's not that, you know, you can make it. There are people who like Tua more than Burrow and there's people that like Herbert, maybe more than Tua. So there's not a, a huge consensus. Cincinnati's made it known, you know, indirectly who they prefer but some other teams may have different preferences. If somebody takes Tua, Washington or Detroit or whomever takes Tua, the Dolphins might just prefer Tua to Joe. So there wasn't everybody got that Kyler Murray is the best quarterback last year by far. And then that that class really took a nosedive. So we don't have that this year, thankfully. Thankfully, there's a lot of parity. There's a lot of unknown. And that only leads to guys being overdrafted.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because unless Tua is able to essentially win over the head coach and the owner... Um, I think that Haskins' job will be there. If that is the case, we'll start hearing a lot more noise about it, where essentially it will be like how Kyler was, very clear. They said that there was an accurate depiction that, hey, this is the case. Makes me think, and this is just kind of a thought, that if it doesn't work out with Haskins year two, maybe they're the team that kind of goes and brings in another backup quarterback, one of those guys, to kind of say, hey, we've got a rookie here. We'll bring in the veteran to mentor him. And if he needs to start because Haskins isn't here, then they can at least trust that rookie. Uh, excuse I me, mean, don't have to then trust said rookie. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, talk a bit about the other positions that they had on the first day of the Combine, some of the other winners, and uh, I guess you could say stock up, stock down, as we said. The tight end group was not especially fast, not overall impressive. There was one player who did really stand out a lot, and one tight end who's going to play probably more of a wide receiver role um, did stand out. It would be the tight end is Albert Okuebunam. That's how you pronounce his last name. I had to write it out. Okuwebu Nam, out of Mizzou. He ran it two hundred and fifty-eight pounds, a four-four-nine forty. He is a scamperer. He's essentially what you can talk about is kind of your move, speedy tight end. Had six receiving touchdowns, but he's also that guy who is an extremely raw prospect. Like. Routes aren't really as much there. A lot of the other areas just need a lot of work. He's kind of one of those prototypical boomer busts. So I, you can kind of look at it almost in two ways. The good is maybe you're talking about a mini Jimmy Graham. The bad is maybe you're talking about another Rob Hausler. So that's the overall case that yikes. you have. It's, it, it is kind of a yikes when you've got the, some of those boomer bust guys. It is one of those cases where I could see Cliff Kingsbury using some of it. The biggest question, obviously with his blocking will make that very interesting, but overall, John, the, the tight end group was not the most impressive. I think you can say um, some of the guys who are expected to run at least kind of maybe in the four sixes were a bit slower and a lot of the tight ends, for the most part, you don't need to have obviously speed for the position, but you're at least hoping that you can have uh, enough athleticism that's going to be there. Harrison Bryant ran a 4-7. Hunter Bryant ran the 4-7 as well. It just feels like overall that the number one guy that people are looking at who will probably go in the second round is Adam Troutman out of Dayton. That seems to be the only guy that most people are even looking at as like one of those guys, oh yeah, if you need a tight end, like this is a guy you could probably potentially draft I I don't know if this is a position group for the Cardinals unless they decide to kind of take a flyer in the third round or later on a guy like that. I I don't think he's going to be there on day three with that size and that time. Um, That just it just doesn't seem to line up for me for the Cardinals. I don't think that they're fully set at the position, but unless you're going to invest that capital into that level of tight end, I just feel like in a class like this there's going to be much more sure things in that third round overall and maybe even in the fourth.
1: Yeah, they're not in a position where they can take one, I think, within the first two days. Um, and I even, I like some of these mid-tier prospects. I thought Bryson Hopkins had a really nice day. The Purdue tight end, who's a four-year starter, over 800 yards last year for a really improving Purdue team. Um, he ran 4 6, six uh, which was only behind Albert for the fastest time. Um, I mean, there are a ton of players I would like to have on the Cardinals roster, but I, I think, you talk about Wide receiver, offensive tackle, maybe quarterback is the the you know the mo- strongest position groups in this draft. I think tight end is amongst the worst, along with maybe edge rusher. Um, mm. It's just it's just not a good class for those positions. And then the card it's twofold because the Cardinals also maybe it's a good year. They don't they don't they have a lot of other needs that are more quintessential. You know you're not you're not finding you would think a George Kittle in the fifth round like the Niners did when they were in full blown rebuild. Um, and I'm fine with taking a flyer on, on a guy day three, if you have a high enough grade on them, but you know, I think they like what they saw out of Dan Arnold at the end of last year. He had a really nice, uh, three, four game stretch. Max Williams will be back. Um, they could go big game hunting. They have an interest in ha- Austin Hooper. I just think the money he's going to command is going to be crazy this off season. So developmental guy, they tried it last year with the kid out of UCLA, um, in the seventh round that didn't work out. So. Uh, I think they're gonna roll with what they have outside of maybe a flyer on day three, but you know they're just it's it, that we we're trying to slay some demons with the Cardinals and some of their historically bad personnel choices at specific positions. Mm-hmm. We slayed the demon last year at quarterback. We're gonna try to do it this year with tackle, you would think. Maybe next year is the year we do it at tight end. They can't draft mm-hmm. a tight end, a tackle or a quarterback historically to save their life. Hopefully, maybe that's changing, but this is not the year to do it with a tight end. Just my opinion.
0: Yeah, the one tight end who a lot of people are curious about, did not work out, has had injury issues in the past, is Thaddeus Moss. Obviously, the son of Randy Moss from that last name. You're probably looking at him as uh, the best comparison you can say is he's not a dynamic athlete. He is a good run blocker. Has had multiple surgeries Has made some big catches, especially in that LSU offense. You're probably looking at maybe your third tight end on the roster, that Ricky Seals-Jones type. I don't know if that's going to be worth enough for a draft pick for the Cardinals, considering right now they only have six picks. Uh, let's go and talk about the last position group, one that will be a lot of people have probably been waiting for this one here on day one, which is the wide receiver group. Obviously, you've got your headliners in the big three who did not disappoint. You had Henry Ruggs with the fastest 40 time of any player with a 4.2740. Uh, pulled up a little bit uh, from the hamstring. You kind of see some of that with the guys with the competing, at least. They go out and they prove what they need to prove but sometimes you can kind of tweak things as a result you had probably jumped the deepest uh as far as with finding speed freaks that you have like you've got one two three four like five six guys that are under a four three time as far as the four fours you're talking about at least like 10 guys or so that were running in the four fours it's not even getting to the guys like the brandon iukes the michael pittman the cd lambs who are running in the four That's just the 40 times. 40 times are not the most important thing for a wide receiver. Obviously it's a portion of being able to see the athleticism. We saw with Keyshawn Johnson, talented player ends up maybe having some work to do with some of the separation is a little bit slower. An average athlete ends up going on day six. That's kind of what the 40 ends up being for a lot of guys. But we saw a lot of players who ended up really kind of picking it up for that one. And uh, I was honestly impressed, not just with, you know, the one thing that went viral was the Judy Lamb at the end of day one. That was kind of the big takeaway from the combine that just went viral. It was Judy, insane footwork to separate from the line after, you know, Ruggs had run his 40. Gets the pass, and then CeeDee Lamb goes and tops that with a tremendous catch on an overthrown ball. Falls inbounds <laughs> on the fade route, out of bounds. That was what sent off the day. So, John, talk a bit about this class, and this is especially something fans will want to see: is is it possible for the Cardinals to fix some of their wide receiver need outside while maybe not going with a wide receiver at pick number eight?
1: Yeah, I I think this is a. Yeah, it's a super deep class, and there there will be some unknowns that emerge. But I think the I think it's not a wise strategy just just to assume you're going to get one of those guys by spinning a third round pick late Friday night on you know a Michael Pittman or a Vance Jefferson or a KJ Hill. I think that you you hedge your bet and you take one of if not the best receiver in the in the class whomever you feel that is, if you think it's Lamb or if you think it's Judy, and you let the chips fall where they may. I mean, I'm, we're not in the business of just saying, well, there's going to be a, just almost superior guys available day two, so let's wait and take a lesser prospect. I, I think that's a poor way of, of going about it. I'm not saying teams won't do it. But, I mean, you saw what you needed to see. We mentioned at the beginning of the podcast who backed up their tape. Judy and Lamb did. Lamb ran a four five one where he was weaving and stumbled out of the gate to begin his 40. Clearly if he had an opportunity, I don't think he ran it a second time at his pro day. I fully expect him to be sub four, five, which is, I mean, again, that's four five is crazy fast to begin with. That's not his game. Um, he's not rugs in the sense that he's a straight line burner, not even Judy in that sense, but he's got separation ability but what he brings is a running back mentality after the catch, like a Debo Samuel with better ball skills. So I, I, I think that you know we saw it, like you just mentioned, in the drills, in the gauntlet, he looked fantastic. Judy is right there in terms of a prospect, but they're so different. So really, it's it's going to be up to what Kingsbury and Kime envision the player being in, in Kingsbury's offense. Because I think you could, I think Lamb's a better prospect, but there are a fair amount of people who, do, who disagree with that. Um, the, the good news for Arizona is that both of them, the consensus is that they are both, Judy and Lamb, considered widely to be top 10 prospects. You're not reaching on one or the other. Generally, in the mocks that I've seen, Lamb is going anywhere from six. To about thirteen, twelve to thirteen,
0: mm-hmm. with seen, Oakland I've kind seen of being some at the Cowboys, but that's been in very, very rare as I've seen him sure. fall. And that I, far. I
1: mean, outlier mocks can happen. I, I think there's a consensus around Oakland or Las Vegas that they're going to take one of the top wideouts that they're available. That's totally fine. I'm just saying, like the the general consensus is that you know, if the Cardinals were that's the best part about this. If the Cardinals take one of those two individuals at eight that that is where they're supposed to be slotted. They're not overdrafting either. And I just keep going back to and let's just let's focus on CeeDee Lamb for a second cuz I know that that's where a lot of the attention has gone rightfully so throughout the duration of this offseason with the Cardinals. And I think that m- much of the fan base will be disappointed if he's not the pick. I'll be disappointed, and I I can sit here today in early March and say that's who I believe they're going to take. Um he, he may or may not be my first pick, depending on who's available, but that, that is who i envision them taking. If you're Steve Keim and you've had a tumultuous three-year run with the Cardinals and you have even the slightest bit of momentum based off of your hiring of, of Kingsbury, your drafting of Murray, you're, you're exiting the basement, you, you, you would assume that if maybe they had a seventh playoff team, you're going to compete for a playoff spot maybe next year. You've got a lot of cap money to spend. Why would you? not draft C.D. Lamb, assuming that an Akuda, maybe a Simmons, is not available. And and hear me out for a second. So with Lamb, it checks a box of one of, if not your biggest need. We've talked about it. Receiver, maybe defensive, probably defensive line, maybe tackle are your three biggest needs. Well, there's not a defensive lineman that's worthy, in my opinion, of the eighth pick. You've got D.J. Humphreys at left tackle and you've got a developmental right tackle that you're happy with. You can always add another one in the second or the third round. Lamb has the blessing of not only the fan base and the media, but your young franchise quarterback whom you need. And whether or not old school people believe this, they need to keep Kyler Murray happy. And I'm not in the business of drafting players based on other players' recommendations. What is it? Sure. Um, Brad Pitt saying Moneyball: If I, I don't care about what the fans think, they don't run my ball club. If you if you listen to the fans, you'll be sitting with them sooner rather than later. I just think that Kime can play this with house money in the sense that if if Lamb comes to Arizona and underperforms and busts, there there can be nobody. Uh, it'll be a small group that will be able to say that Kime made a poor decision and that was an egregious pick. When in reality, it just it checks every box right now that they need to fill outside of you know, chase young somehow falling to eight or something like that.
0: You're they got better. R. They got one right. of those top prospects, even Isaiah a Simmons, which prospect. we'll talk about Simmons in a bit for how he blew up the combine. But I think what you're hinting at a little, and this is kind of a way I would also phrase it. John is the Cardinals may have a higher value on a player like CeeDee lamb than probably any other team. Absolutely. Not because just of the fact that it's the person and the connection, But also the need that they have is so very much um, present. And it's also so very much not just a schematic fit. Like we talked about Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray scheme fit last year. It's also a case of that he plays the wide receiver position, just like how Kyler Murray almost desires it to be played with. You're talking about a guy who's able to go up and get the ball vertically with the placement, someone who comes back on the back routes, who's able to get yards after the catch. He's able to break a lot of tackles. And the comparison you'll have out there that a lot of people have had and have stuck with is DeAndre Hopkins. And when you look at the combine profile... Lamb had a overall, not just faster 40 at least, but overall, he had a better combine than Hopkins did. I think it was very, very close on the vertical routes, unless I'm, uh, I think, on the jump. And the explosion that he had off of the line was one of the best splits that they had for the 40 of and wide receivers. And that's the whole thing, is when you're talking about the idea, and this is what I think when you're talking about what the combine showed for a lot of people was we're looking at Judy with some of the change of direction. A lot of the, the biggest thing with him overall is he played so much out of the slot and so much of what he does is route-centric and explosiveness and yards after catch from the start. If you're talking about all of those things, you get the same package ultimately in Lamb and one who's maybe not quite as twitchy. But you're still going to get the same level of explosive, and you're going to come in with the ability to make some of those studly star catches. That last catch that he made in that one combine is one that he's been making that we've been watching him since 2015, making those catches with Baker Mayfield, with Kyla Murray, with Jalen Hurts this year. It's hard to say that it's fitzgerald S, because Larry was like that guy who had like 1,700 yards in college and was his team's offense. Like, it's legendary. But for when you're talking about if there's a guy who's going to take over to make those star plays, to be able to make those catches, to be able to entertain on the field... I do think that pairing Lamb and Murray together would be at least probably a solid case for the next 10 years or so because you're going to need to have that type of receiver that can bail out his quarterback to make plays. And especially with the red zone offense that we talk about, you add another threat there in addition to Kyler's legs, and suddenly you're talking about a whole new offense in 2019. And I think that's where a lot of fans who want the defensive player, if you get the defensive player, you're still going to be in some cases then subtracting from the offense. Like if you go from, say, a, a CeeDee Lamb to a Brandon Ayuk, maybe if there's a Justin Jefferson who's there, because of the lack of chemistry and because of the lack of scheme fit, you're still a rookie having to learn. If you get a Christian Kirk 700-yard first opening season, you're happy with your second-round pick. You're well, not going to get the same upside as you would if you took Lamb overall at eight with how he'll seamlessly, I think, fit in from the get-go.
1: They're still trying to undo what was 2018 and one of the worst offenses in modern history. Don't let the 2019 defensive struggles um, distract you from that. that, This is a multi-year rebuild of this offense. And I think we need to take the Cardinals ownership, their coaching staff, and and Kime at their word. Kime came out and basically said, we do not possess the dominant X or Y outside receiver currently on the roster. That's not to say that Maybe Hakeem Butler gets to that point or Isabella, you know, does something in year two. They don't have that guy or they don't believe they had that guy based on what they're telling us on the roster now. Whereas they have a young player in Justin Murray who didn't embarrass himself in his second year over the course of 16 games. And the difference being that I think that contrary to what others believe, I think you can get a good right tackle maybe at the top of the second round somebody that's capable, not that I would hate Tristan worse at eight. I would, I think that would be a great pick as well, but I'm just saying uh, they're telling you something now. They said it last year with Murray. It doesn't matter. They took three ride receivers last year. And I hate even including Keyshawn in that because he was a six round pick. I don't think that's fair, but they disappointed. It was a disappointing year for the draftees receiver. It was a disappointing year for Christian Kirk they tried to sign Michael Crabtree. They did sign him roughly what, 10 days before the season. That should tell you everything. And then the, you look at how many sacks were on Kyler Murray because he had to make plays with his feet because guys couldn't separate. How many dropped passes there were with this receiving unit. I get on the offensive line probably more than anybody in, you know, who's a, who who covers this team, follows this team and and then you and Blake and I have a voice with this podcast. Their receiving core proved to me that that is much more of the problem heading into year two. I'm optimistic about Mason Cole starting at center, potentially, and DJ Humphreys improving. And they've got some, you know, proven guys And Pew and and Sweezy played well last year. Their receiving core is led by a 37, 38-year-old player on a year-to-year contract. Mm -hmm. Kirk, who was not good over long stretches last year, and a bunch of unknowns. And you have a player; he's not physically the same, but you're. You need to include Judy and Lamb in the same caliber of, of Mike Evans. Yeah. That they're top, they're top ten receivers for a reason. Now, maybe they turn into Mike Williams. Maybe they turn into Corey Davis, and they don't do anything. But you can't draft like that. Not in today's NFL, when you know defensive backs can't touch receivers. So, I, I just think that the, the closer we get to this, especially if it becomes evident, Blake, that. Okuda and Simmons are our top five locks to the Lions or the Giants or whomever and the quarterbacks go where we think they're going to go I lambs just going to be there for them to pick and I I don't think they're going to screw around with it I think that's who they'll take.
0: Yeah, the question some people have is: Is Lamb likely to be there? And you saw a lot of mock drafts shifted to have, um, <laughs> to have. Um, hey, here's an offensive line. The offensive line balls out, and yet you're seeing a lot of CD Lamb mock drafts post combine. And some of the news that we've seen, at least from some people, at least you can kind of just search It's It's kind of an expectation for some people that they are. Some people believe they still may go with the offensive line. Some people, that's what they've said. But it just does seem to be one of those picks where, like, last year, people said, hey, this is a no-brainer pick, at least. We've got uh, Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury system. Boom, that's that's where it is. The downside that you'll have, at least, of expecting them to do something different is sometimes it you need to accept – if a pick makes a lot of sense, sometimes you need to just accept it. <laughs> Don't look at it as smoke or look at other needs. Sometimes it's a case of, hey, you're going to be getting a really good player, probably the the number one wide receiver, I think, in this draft. And In some cases, John, it's probably the safest pick in some cases outside of maybe you could say Burrow, you could say is safe I and maybe think the value. I think it's
1: incredibly safe.
0: Yeah, Okuda would be the one that I think would be safer. You see sometimes pass rushers like Young maybe aren't as safe, but... Really, outside of, I I would say this, I would probably say that tackles aren't as safe as they used to be. A player like Lamb in the Cardinals system, that is going to be, I think, probably arguably the safest pick you can make. Because even if you're going to draft a defensive player, we'll talk about the defense, there's still a chance with some of those players that... It's not going to end up being what you think because of position. We saw that with Damon Buchanan moving around with Hassan Redick. We've seen defensive linemen who have gone. Uh, I think even you can talk about Aaron Donald in that draft. He went and fell to the 10th pick, ended up being one of the best players in the NFL. And there's something that I've had. I was going back and checking at least for that one. We had messages all the way back in September, end of September for me and uh, Seth were like, Hey Seth, just looking at this right here, Cardinals are going to be taking a wide receiver first round next year. And he's like, Yep, <laughs> it was something that was so evident up front that I, I they didn't 100% have the talent.
1: transparent with the audience. They have been saying that Blake has been on board with this for what seems like six months, and I was adamant that this was not the route to take, and now we're sitting here in early March, and I'm like, yeah, they're for sure doing that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Some of the other wide receivers that I think were stock up while we move off were Justin Jefferson. Some were expecting him to run a much slower 40 time. He looks like he's a guy who maybe isn't going to be a true number one wide receiver. It'd be awesome if he was... Um, and could turn into that type of Alshon Jeffrey mold, but with a bit more separation. Chase Claypool at 238 pounds, ran a four in the four-four-twos, I believe. It was crazy. You had a couple other guys, Jalen Rager tested out super well. Some were expecting him to run in the low four twos, he ran a four-four-seven. Not as much on the agility. I, I think the agility drills, John, we'll see what happens in the pro days come out because Those drills were being taken place at like 9 to 10 p.m. at night. Some of the players, they said, were down across the board for players. Uh, If they end up seeing a huge noticeable jump, especially with a guy like Judy, who looks like he's got a lot of change of direction pace, you put up his mock draftable, and it kind of looks a little bit like... um, Some even said, like, wow, it's like it takes a little dive right down to the same level where DK Metcalf's did, where people talked about Metcalf not being able to turn at all, and that wasn't as much of a problem, so... That will be one thing just for kind of you combine freaks who are out there who are wondering about the testing and the measurables. Um, Denzel Mims looks like he cemented himself in the first round as well. He's had some crazy catches. Like the, the way you could look at him is he's kind of got all of the athleticism that you're looking for and has got some excellent body control. Maybe not, he's produced for all of that too. So the name that I do want to focus on, because this is something that popped up with the combine, was he had Devin DuVernay, who was the wide receiver out of Texas. Not as much, uh, I guess you could say production, but then again, Texas players were not really necessarily offensive threats this year. He was a top five recruited wide receiver out of high school, ran a 4.39.40, And the reason why he stuck out was because people are like, oh, by the way, he's Kyler Murray's cousin. And then everyone's kind of like, wait, he what? (laughs) Murray even gave him a shout out on his Instagram. And it was a little surprising, at least, to be able to like, oh, this is something like, why are we only finding out about this now? This guy is a speed freak who's a vertical route runner, can run up, and he's only 5'10". They said he's built like a running back. He's very good at being able to make guys miss in the open field. He's a straightforward burner. He's just not necessarily the most nuanced route runner type of guy. I would be very curious if this guy ends up on the Cardinals, whether they're able to get a fifth round pick or even if they go as high as the fourth round. I I don't know if they want to double dip at wide receiver, but when you take a look at his agent, he's got Eric Burkhart, the same agent as Cliff Kingsbury and the same agent as Kyler Murray. And, Maybe, John, are we just connecting too much? Am I just kind of like, you know, Charlie's character and you know, It's Always Sunny, just like, ah, I'm doing all these theories, all these connecting dots. Or do you think that maybe the Cardinals may look at drafting a guy like this, essentially replacing who we thought Hakeem Butler could be? Yeah, I think,
1: you know, you take somebody like Butler on day three, and I think all bets are off. I don't think anybody's promised anything at that that position. Um, Or I, I should say when you fall into a day three pick, um, I don't care who you are. Um, and so you're not married to anything. I think you, you look at rounds one, two and three, but goodness, they took a quarterback back to back, you know, years in the, in the first round. So I, I don't love the idea of double dipping on another wide receiver, because I think that at this point you need to find ways like the San Francisco 49ers did with Debo Samuel, because he had a slow start to his season and then they just found ways to get him the football. We've seen it with Andy Isabella. They would try to get creative and get him in space and he has the ability to make people miss. I think they need to do that more this year. Hopefully he improves with that first to second year jump. You've got Kirk who I, I still think can be a really quality number 2. And let's say they take a quarter or quarterback or uh, receiver in the top 10. I just I think that that's probably enough at the position especially when you factor in, you know, Larry's year to year you're, you're tying up you know, eight figures in his salary. It would be time, in my opinion, to pivot and at least see – you have to see what you have with, with Isabella next year. And if it's obvious that he can't play or they're not playing him next year, then we have our answer. Mm. Um, but I, I think Keyshawn looked good at the beginning of last year, then hit a wall. You've got guys like Trent Sherfield who are going to fight to make the team. So outside of Lamb, I think you probably want to pump the brakes. There are so many other positions of need for this team. Um, and I would feel good about like, this is basically what I've been saying from the start with these, with this class is like similar to tackle, do not miss out on one of these key prospects in the first three rounds, regardless of position, just like, don't miss out on the party, right? Just get one of them. And then let's go to training camp. You don't need to double or triple dip, but just don't get shut out. Get a lamb, get an Austin Jackson, get a, you know, a Josh Jones, a tackle, somebody like that, get a Jack Driscoll and then move on. Because in other years, those guys could be up around based on, you know, the position strength unit. So I, um, I'm not a huge fan of uh, taking CD and then going back and running it back. And even in the fourth round, I think, I think we're going to see a scenario in which they're going to put the offense as a priority, but we haven't even gotten to the running backs yet. I think that could be a sleeper pick at 40. I think the interior offensive line needs addressed, Um, you know, I don't love the idea of taking a tight end, but that could certainly be the case. So they, they got, they're still rebuilding roster and I don't think you get there by taking, that would be five receivers in the last two drafts. Uh, that would be a lot. Yeah, I,
0: I, I would agree with that. It would be a lot. I think you could say like the... The best case scenario is if you do end up feeling like you have to move on from a guy like Hakeem Butler because you just feel like it's too much of a project or that there's areas. And if Kyler likes a guy like DuVernay and he can come in and fit in where you're like, hey, you know, he can come in on some of the routes outside at least for that maybe kind of your long term uh, guy who could replace um, you know a Demir Bird at least for that one with a bit more upside. Then I'm fine with it. If it's not, I feel like the best case scenario, John, would be if you can either. Deal the David Johnson pick and get a fifth rounder or trade back around and pick that up. I feel like you would much rather keep that top 120 pick for a position of need. And then fifth rounder later, that's where I think you could apply some of those flyers. Don't know if he'll be there that late because after all that 4-3 time and the final season that he put up, 106 catches for 1,386 yards for Texas was a great final season for him. Let's move on to day two, which is the offensive line that you're going to have. As far as the players that you're going to see, were the ones who stood out. The day two guy that I think for me, obviously, and probably for almost everyone, that stood out the most was Makai Becton from Louisville. Uh, four, 364 pounds puts up a 5-10-40. He was moving faster than uh, I think they said like uh, it's like. Um, I think I was trying to remember what someone described, as like, oh, it was faster than, like, a, a hog in downtown Scottsdale. <laughs> they had, like, a running javelini that was going around, and just, like, watching all this fat clown, kind of galumph, 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 galumph. It wasn't really like it was anything fat. He's just a freakishly large human, and this is a guy who flew up the boards late. Daniel Jeremiah was the first who pointed him out, his... Coaching changes uh, really seem to help him a lot, and he just is a huge mauler. You kind of think almost of the Leonard Davis type would be the one you'd look at, and he seems like he's big enough to go on the side with the tackle. But, John, you've got some questions at least about him, especially because that size may be a positive for a lot of people, but you think it might be a negative. How so?
1: Yeah, I, I don't like to be – like a, the body shaming thing is not my thing at all. I don't like doing it. I just know I've seen this before with the Cardinals with too many prospects where they couldn't keep their weight down. Dallin Williams is a player that comes to mind, Kim Dietschy. I know they play defensive line, but, I mean, you 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 and I talked about it. He's 6'7", what, 365, and he's had to kind of bust it to get it down at that point. In the NFL, he's going to have lengthy time off, um, and he's that's going to be expectation all the time. Can he do that? I hope so. Um, but I don't want to hedge my bet on somebody that that big at, at number eight overall. And plus, it's like, again, I don't want to be Mr. Body Shamer, but like Tristan Wirth carries his weight differently than than Becton does. It's just it's just obvious. Tristan Wirth has the body of a wrestler. He's in the weight room constantly. Um, I love this guy's morosity. His 40 time was unbelievable. But again, I want a sure thing at pick eight. I don't think his tape is as good as Tristan's tape um, or Wills Jr. I think that he is the third best tackle in this class. I still think he's going to go really high, and his, his combine was mm-hmm. fantastic, and I'm happy for him. And he, you know, his transformation is great. He had a big article in The Athletic about it um and it you know pay dividends his his body fat measurement of 17 percent
0: yeah and his film uh, he's mauling guys like that's the thing yeah. he's like in the run game he's one of those guys where you talk about a guy who can run at that type of a speed and is a moving force for a brick wall there's going to be players who like with derrick henry that we've seen they make business decisions imagine if he's running around you're like a 5 10 200 pound safety right. see that guy running no i mean you're like i'm gonna go around this guy that's great
1: that's great. I just I like two other tackles more than him, um, because I think they're safer. I think he's got here. Let me say this: it, I think he's got the highest ceiling. How about that? I think that you're you're getting him. You could get Walter Jones. Who knows? He's,
0: he's going to hit his head on the ceiling with how tall right. he is. And there you go.
1: <laughs> nice one. Um, that's what you get with this podcast, man. Um, uh, but I I think, yeah. but I I am I'm I'm concerned about how he's going to hold up physically. Um, that's my only criticism. I want him to do well. And listen, if there's a scenario and I wouldn't love this either, if there's a scenario in which the Cardinals trade down to, let's say like 10, 11, 12, and he's there and they take him and they get, you know, a, a quality haul on day two. Like I'll, I'll feel good about that. Mm-hmm. Because you know, especially if he can pan out at, at right tackle. I mean, he would come in and be your right tackle. They're not taking somebody 11th overall or higher to be a backup next year he would have to come in and play right tackle can he play right tackle i don't know tristan worse only played right tackle in iowa sure. and was an all-american and dj humphreys is in your plans going forward i mean w- who makes more sense to to you but people want to get infatuated i love the workouts it's great it's fun it's why we watch the combine but i there are questions there are questions that that i have that i don't think he can answer until he plays a full season
0: Yeah, especially since he has really just one season that he exploded onto the light. Right, that's another thing. Yeah, I think of Deuce Latouille a lot. Latoui was a guy who ended up being a guard. I don't know if he'll have to move to guard, if it's not going to work or not. I think right now you have to at least give that to... to look at him at the tackle position just because of that athleticism. But Deuce is a guy who struggled to keep his weight down late in the career and even post-career. I mean, like you joke, there's just maybe too much of that Tongan barbecue. When you've got such a massive human that you have with each of those, there's a benefit that you get in the game of football. But there can also be a detraction as well. So uh, like you said, John, I don't think that it's going to be nearly as concerning, at least for me, for the first three or four years of that rookie deal and that rookie contract, if it does turn into a spot where there's injuries that pop up. And then, as you know, it's harder to carry around 360 pounds, especially if you are going to be moving out in space and having guys dive at your legs because they don't want to run into you. The potential, obviously, is sky high. But I do think that he would be my second rated tackle in this class, and that would be behind Tristan. Wurfs, who went out and essentially cemented, I think that OT one uh, as far as for that, he's clearly going to be a safer pick. He ran the fastest forty of any offensive lineman, despite the fact that he is one of the bigger and heavier guys that was there. He was booking it, John. You've been a huge fan of this guy, Iowa Hawkeye. There, the kings of developing blocking prospects for the yeah. next level in the NFL uh, talk a bit about worse. And then the other two tackles that you saw at least behind him, which would be Andrew Thomas. And then also what we found out a little bit more with Jedrick Wills, seems like some teams may be viewing him as a guard is what some are saying. I think he's still going to end up as a tackle overall. That position is too valuable.
1: Yeah. Um, I have been a huge worse fan dating back to before the season started um, because he's been such a consistent performer At the University of Iowa for four years, I mean, Kirk Ferentz, if you don't know, was a very well-respected offensive line coach at the NFL level, worked with Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, and all he's done at the University of Iowa, outside of consistently posting eight, nine, ten win seasons, is he churns out quality offensive linemen. That's what he does. They don't have busts at the position. They may not reach pinnacle success. They may not become... All pros every year but guys like brandon sheriff and brian bulaga and james daniels now with the bears and riley reef they're good pros and they make you know your fair share of pro bowls worse has a higher ceiling than i would say all of those guys outside of maybe sheriff who is going to get tagged is going to get a big deal with the redskins um, and then of course they've churned out how many tight ends now. And with George Kendall being kind of the bell of the ball, I wrote an article on RevengeOfTheBirds.com, of basically saying that outside of lamb or really Judy, if they prefer Judy, I'm not going to argue that. But outside of those two individuals, I think Worfs is the only other consideration, assuming that a blue chip player like Okuda doesn't fall to you at eight. He is, I think it's an incredibly safe pick. I think it's somebody that's going to come in right away and be your right tackle for 10 years, health permitting. I think he's got the frame six five, three twenty. 320 was the only true freshman ever to start for Kirk Ferentz. Think about that. Came in at that program, high school wrestler. I'm not sure if he was a collegiate wrestler just came in and was like, Oh, I'll be your starting right tackle as an 18 year old. I mean, that's unheard of in the big 10 all pro or excuse me, all pro big 10 offensive lineman of the year. Um, I think second team All-American, um, steady in pass protection. He's a mauler. He's just a, as great of a mauler as Beckton is in, in the run game. Um, he's played right tackle. He could play guard. And I know there were some people questioning, could he hold up at right tackle? I mean, goodness, did you watch him over the weekend run a 4.85? He had a broad jump of 121. That's unheard of. So I, I just think that, I wrote this at the bottom of the article i think that he he could be the player that could come in and buck the trend for first round offensive tackle offensive line bust for the cardinals just like murray did i i just outside of major injury i don't think he's going to come in and, and be a bust and not yeah. perform i think i think he's got a higher ceiling than dj humphreys does i think he's a better player now than humphreys way was by a large margin when he came out and i think there's a good chance in three years he's a top three to five right tackle in, in football. Now he did have some off the field concerns that I think are behind him at university of Iowa. And the interview is going to be a big part of, you know, how, how that plays out. But I'm with you, Blake. I think he, I, I don't even think there's a guarantee. I think there was a guarantee before the draft. There's a strong sense. He would be there for Arizona. I, I think now I think Carolina's in play. The Chargers are in play. I, I think that he's for, for the most part, I think he's going to be a lot of teams first tackle. And I think that, 50-50 chance he's there for the Cardinals. But goodness, that's the kind of player that wouldn't otherwise be available f- for them if he is there, if there were three quarterbacks going in the top seven picks. But the reason you're going to get a chance at a Lamb or a Judy or a Worfs or, like you just mentioned, a Wills Jr. or a Becton is because of how loaded this, this class is at quarterback. So we're fortunate in that regard. So, I, yeah, if, if you can't tell, I'm a huge fan of his, and I would love to see him end up in Arizona. Um, Thomas, you, you, saw Mox preseason. I mean, he was first, second overall pick outside mm-hmm. of, of Herbert. Um, and he's had a significant fall from grace and I know he's had some health problems. I, I agree with you, Blake. I think, I think he's going to go early. I think there's, I have, I believe five or six first round tackles on, on my little spreadsheet big board.
0: It's crazy. I think, good. Yeah. 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 yeah
1: I, I think he's going certainly first round top 20. I think that we're going to see a run on tackles beginning in the mid uh, top ten and then you know throughout the duration of the, the teens, and I think that's his sweet spot. Um, Jedrick Wills is my second tackle, and I, I like what he brings to the table. I think he can play right tackle tomorrow. Um, and I think, again, steady. Ceiling is not what Becton or Worfs is, but I think that could come in and be a nice performer for you. But he's certainly not my first choice uh, up front. I mean, Worf's to me – I like Worf's as a prospect more than I like Jerry Judy as a prospect. And Lamb only trumps that because of the fact that I believe the Cardinals need a receiver more. And then, of course, Lamb's relationship with Kyler Murray. But that's about it. I think Worf's as a prospect is just as safe as, as CeeDee Lamb. And that's saying something.
0: Yeah, I think the the only question that seems to be at this rate is, um, just looking back, there were two very well-publicized incidences that you had with Worf's in college. One of them was there was a motor scooter that he and a couple of friends were riding around on. They'd had a few drinks before. And then just uh, previously when he was, it's hard to believe how young he is, but he was still at least uh, in a bar It was cited for being underage. Wasn't anything talked about with alcohol consumption or anything there. And it's also a little different when you're talking about driving a motor vehicle versus like a, a motorized scooter. It's still obviously a case where, you know, you get booked in, you're there. It's, uh, it is go on the record. He was suspended for the season opener with that one. That would be at least for one hand, you could say, well, it's Iowa. There's nothing really else to be able to do. And that's something that's that you right. see. It's What's...
1: just about to make that <laughs> yeah, point.
0: That's, there's nothing else really you got to do that's part of where it is with iowa and you're an offensive lineman and if you're going to be able to go out there and want to have these boy scouts that go out there in nfl and fair, it's going to be difficult looked,
1: you probably looked 21 when he was 17 you probably looked like he was 25
0: <laughs> right so it's more of a case where you end up having that's why the importance of a lot of the meetings and other cases are and uh, again this is something where some fans i think will look at that and then think back to the michael floyd where you had that same incident in college didn't crop its head up for a few years, then it did come in and kind of spelled the end of his time in Arizona, even the end of his overall career as we know it. It's something to be able to be, I think ultimately you can say, all right, it's a check, it's a flag you'll put in for that one. But if you're going to be looking at a lot of players, are going to have a lot more flags. In some cases, maybe there'll be a funny flag. One of the tackle prospects that they had this year had, uh, if you want to Google it for that one, um, you can go up and look up what Trey Adams at least said for that one. It's not quite exactly safe for work, so just be uh, pre-forewarned. It leaked out, and some people were upset that it leaked out. Well, most of the people who saw it at least thought it revealed a lot about the man <laughs> just for the confidence and other aspects that's there. So, um, yeah, a little, uh, little not safe for work comment that he made. For me, John, the crazy thing is that there is just a deep, deep, class of tackles where there's a lot of athletic guys this year you talk about guys like Ezra Cleaves and Austin Jackson both tested well you already have another guy out of Georgia and Isaiah Wilson you even mentioned Driscoll I think the one area for the Cardinals and we'll we'll have a little this will be a little teaser for the end of the show you got a little bit of news as far as the interior of the offensive line I don't see them looking at a center this year Lloyd Cushenberry out of LSU got hurt he's a guy who I was hoping to see test and Caesar Ruiz out of Michigan is probably the guy who's the top center prospect. There's enough tackles that are going in that I just counted off. That's add those six guys or so to uh, four. I think it's five guys actually to the four that you have. You're going to probably be talking about, like you said, John, ten tackles. This is very likely going to be someone in that second tier of tackles. We even talked about Josh Jones out of Houston, the guy who knows air raid type of offenses. I believe at least who would probably be a good fit for Cliff. They're very well could be one of these tackles who falls into round two. The Cardinals could take them develop and have a future beyond DJ Humphreys if they feel like it without having to pay at as much or even be able to have a cheap solution at right tackle to upgrade. I feel really confident in this tackle class, John, where if the Cardinals do miss out on a guy like a Tristan Wurfs who could plug in immediately, I don't feel too bad about this developmental tackle class, especially because they have a guy like Sean Coogler now.
1: Yeah, you just feel like they're going to get the most out of this unit like they did last year. I'm just wary of not having guys in the pipeline. I'm I'm encouraged by – I put this on Twitter. I don't know if anybody else has put this out there yet or not, but they're going to give Mason Cole every opportunity to come in and win that starting center job. They were happy with his development. The only reason it was really halted is because he had his third offensive coaching staff in three years. When you think about his last year at Michigan – with Mike McCoy's first year as a rookie and having to play, you know, all 16 games. And then last year, it's very much like, but what Bobby Massey went through that learning curve is so steep, but they think he's ready now to come in and at least compete. And I, I would be surprised if he wasn't the starting center, which is great to hear. I don't know what that means for a Q Shipley, um, but you draft a guy in the third round, like Cole. I mean, I, I think he can at least be a competent, solid starter for them and you're not paying him very mm-hmm. much, which is key. Um, yeah. And so, Outside of Cole and then maybe Humphreys, you need younger guys in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. You've got J.R. Sweezy, who really play outside of, I think, most of our expectations last year. It was a really nice surprise, but he's got one year left on a modest deal that only pays him about $4 million this year. Justin Murray, I think, is a phenomenal insurance option swing tackle. Um, if he has to start games, that's that's great. But yeah, I think yeah. that they, they certainly can do better. I mean, you're talking about one of the deepest tackle classes of recent memory, uh, I think you need to go and try to secure one either at 8 or 40 or wherever and then try try to do a transition plan. I think yeah. that they've been burned too many times by going with the veteran route like they were last year with Marcus Gilbert. Mm-hmm. I think, like you just mentioned, they have a lot of faith in Sean Kugler. What he did last year with, with Murray's development up front speaks to his ability to take somebody like a Werfs and turn him into a Pro Bowl-caliber player. That's, I mean, outside of Kingsbury, that's their, the probably their second most important coach on their staff because not only what he means to the team and development of the young offensive lineman, but what he means to Kyler Murray's, you know, protection and development at the mm-hmm. quarterback position. They don't want another, God forbid, Deshaun Watson situation where he's sacked 60 times a, a year. So, I, I think that there is a belief that they can they can carve out a pipeline. Where you're taking an offensive lineman every year and just kind of plugging them in, whether it's the first, second, or third round. And hopefully that starts with Mason Cole and we see a transition. I like some of the names you just mentioned, Blake. These secondary tackles, there's nothing, they're, you know, they're not anything to ride home about. There, or there's not, I, I like them, I guess is the best way to put it. I like Jack Driscoll of Auburn. I think he's a nice player. Trey Adams was somebody who we all thought prior to injury. That he was gonna be a top five pick and right. he's kind of fallen off the map. Like yeah, he's he got the, guys. Yeah,
0: he's the slowest forty, and there's a lot of questions people have about the blocking, but it's one of those cases where, hey, if it's a developmental guy that you can find on day three who had that first round original upside, yeah, you can take take a shot. It's it's a case where this is a class of tackles that checks a lot of the different boxes, whereas on classes previously, the Cardinals I think were kind of almost forced to take some of those interior linemen.
1: Yeah. You're not reaching. You're not reaching on a prince out. Of, I mean, Auburn's got two really good ca- tackles. The Lucas, the kid out of TCU, mm-hmm. I thought really looked good and ha- he has really if you have not had a chance to look at I can't I always it's have like a Lucas Nile, I think it's like name.
0: Lucas Nile or something I think is that. It's Yeah, like it's his
1: something. his last yeah. name's N I A N G. He's got N- oh, really Niang, Yeah, tape. Lucas Niang. Yang. He's got really good tape. I think he can play both right and and left tackle. Now he was hurt, and I think he had um, issues from uh, a hip injury. I think suffered late last season. But the tape that I've seen—now, granted, I'm not watching every TCU game—but he's played a lot of um, snaps for them, mm-hmm. and I, that's a perfect target. You want to talk about? Here's the difference between Lucas. Lucas is six seven, and he I think was right around like three twenty five, and Beckton was six seven and had about 45 pounds yeah. on Lucas, and <laughs> Lucas is a big man, anyway, so, health's gonna be, health's gonna be big, um, workouts, individual workouts, um, pro days now, a lot of these guys coming back 100%, but this, this dude was, was PFS, pro football focus, all big 12, or first team, excuse me, was um, all big 12 in 2018, so, I, that's, that's somebody who you could get at 40. I'm pretty comfortable in saying that. And he's played right tackle before. So there, there are options. Whereas like you don't take C D laminate. And again, I don't want to keep jumping back and forth and putting all of our chips in this basket, but I mean, you're, you're going to have to get Cardinal fans excited about a a third tier receiver because there's going to be, I think six to seven first round wideouts. So it's just, Whereas the tackles after, and people made this point to me at Twitter, I think the tackle class is deeper, but, you know, you get past Wirfs and Thomas and Wills, even Beckton, there's a, there's a drop-off. and so, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You've got to prepare yourself for that. But the Cardinals aren't looking for a left tackle. They're looking for a right tackle, and that's a good place to be.
0: I I would agree, and I think the the question that we'll have obviously is is it better to look at that position in the second round when you're seeing such of that depth, and because of the where the receivers will go, teams obviously will have other needs. Some of those tackles may even fall into the third round, where the Cardinals will be within striking distance. Should they end up having a player that they like better on the defensive side that's there in round two, or something we've kind of discussed, John. The Cardinals running back situation right now is very tenuous because it seems like Kenyon Drake is bound to hit free agency and probably won't come back to the Cardinals unless he doesn't find what he's looking for from the free agent market and then decides to end up taking a lesser, maybe even a one-year deal. It's also a case where I don't know if the Cardinals are going to be even willing to pay a running back for what they're looking for considering that they just went through this with David Johnson johnson's a guy who you're probably looking at as maybe you're in case of emergency break glass if you're keeping him if you're able to move him to a team like tampa or a team like the colts or the dolphins that has a lot of cap space is willing to take him it's hard for me to see steve keim be willing to give up even as much as a seventh round pick to get that contract off of the books to save four or five million because you're probably going to be using a least a veteran minimum to sign another running back to replace David Johnson out of that. Really, then you're like, why don't you just keep the guy that you have? He's already been in your system. The running back situation is very interesting because the Cardinals end up moving on from David Johnson or look at him as a backup. And if Kenyon Drake isn't re-signed, then you've got a definite need at the position. I think a lot of people have said, oh, just take a running back in round day three, somewhere on there, you'll find a starter for that one, and that really hasn't been the case in the NFL. You've seen at least that this is a talented running back class with a drop-off, and I think, John, it is a possibility to look at where if the Cardinals are really wanting to make a splash, you spend a lot of money on the defensive side, and then maybe you end up bringing in some of the playmakers for Kyler are brought in on the offensive side, so you kind of put Drake's money toward a defensive guy, and you start looking at these running backs. So let's take a look at the guys. I think that there's five guys who popped up in the top tier. I think you'd probably call them the Tier 1 guys. Maybe there's a split where you've got Tier 1A and Tier 1B. But you've got the 4-3 running, Jonathan Taylor, who essentially people were just like wowed at how uh, he had a lot of carries. He was an explosive runner. He caught the ball very well overall Out of the uh, in the drills, wasn't really a catcher. You've got the guy who did not participate in the in the uh, in the combine in J.K. Dobbins, who has someone earlier today compared his style to a little bit more of a Kenyan Drake, except more explosive. I'm like, wow, that's that's impressive. You've got DeAndre Swift out of Georgia, who ran a 4-4-8. You've got the guy who's risen up a ton of draft boards, probably went from maybe a... Late day three, maybe early, or excuse me, uh, excuse me, late day two, maybe early day three pick in Cam Akers out of Florida. His athleticism and footwork was off the charts. And last, we've got one of our personal favorites on this podcast, which would be CEH, the Fresh Prince of Hilaire himself, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. little small 5'7", 200-pound guy, but he catches the ball and runs like a wide receiver. He's played in a lot of the scheme and the system that you have with... Uh, The read option, very effective, shifty runner. You're kind of looking at him as more of like uh, Sproles is kind of a weird comparison. I think he's much more of that starting running back of that small, tight guy. Someone, I think, said that he could be essentially a better pass catching version of like a little tough guy like Frank Gore. Those to me, John, would be the top five running backs. Do you think that there's any need for the Cardinals to look at taking one of these even as early as with the 40th pick? Or are we just saying that this is overvaluing the running back position now?
1: I don't like doing it, I. but I understand why people would want to do it. I wouldn't have a problem with it, assuming that they got, you know, one of those blue chip players at eight. Um, I could definitely see a scenario in which they trade it down from 40, which I, I think Kime is going to aggressively pursue, and they get, like, an extra third, and then you take it with that second, which is now probably a mid-second. Uh, I would feel much more comfortable doing it then. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's tough watching San Francisco produce with undrafted guys. And then the Cardinals and the Seahawks taking first-round running backs. Listen, value is value. And there is value into taking one at 40 that you believe has a chance to be an every-down back, Um, and especially that you're not paying anything. We saw how valuable David Johnson was before they paid him, Um, and that goes across the board in the NFL. And now you're seeing a lot of these guys, like a Devontae Freeman, like a Todd Gurley, like a David Johnson, who are going to have short-lived careers with their current teams, teams are going to try to move on. There's nothing wrong with taking a back high. Just be careful when you opt to open the checkbook. But as far as these prospects go, our guy from LSU is probably my top pick just because of where I think they could get him. Hmm. Um, And I think he's such a fluid receiver. I think that's such an important element in, in Cliff's offense. That's why as much as I love Jonathan Taylor, I just don't see him as a Fluid pass catcher like some of these other guys are. I think Swift yeah. catches the ball better. Dobbins, Zach Moss. I know they really like. We've talked about it, Blake, off air. Mm-hmm. Um, he's somebody who's got monster production and gutted out an injury at the combine to to, to post really good results. Pushed through a hamstring injury. Right. He is Bayes 225. Has all the co- collegiate numbers. I think there's more of there's a better chance they take somebody like that. Whereas, c- can you get him late in the second, early in the third? Um, but you know, as, as far as the position, you know, I, I don't love it in the first round, but again, you're getting a guy like, are you getting a little McGor- McCoy on day two? Are you getting a Kareem hunt? Are you getting a Nick Chubb? I mean, those guys are capable yeah, of carrying you on Derek a, Henry's yeah,
0: went in the second right. round. And I think that's the one thing when I looked at the draft is talk about the day three running back or the i should say round three running backs some of those guys they turn into a david johnson or alvin Kamara. some of those guys end up turning into um like the what is it the who's the guy with the bucks at least for that yeah i was gonna say yeah jj aaron is a good example for that one even the bucks ended with ronald jones is another good example yeah The, the best way you can look at it is if you're taking a running back in round one you're probably at least overstating your value where you're just saying, Hey, we'll get the best running back in this class. And then you'll usually end up regretting it. Like I know Raiders fans were raving about Josh Jacobs this year, but if you look at the second round, the Eagles took miles Sanders. And even though he didn't start as dramatically by the end of the year, he was essentially a workhorse back for them and was one of their more reliable options. And I think that's the sweet spot, I think, for if you don't want to gamble as much. You can gamble and find guys, I think, in round three. I think people saying, hey, just doesn't matter what back you find, pick them up anywhere. That has not been the case in the NFL. I think sometimes you can find those guys who are veterans or have been able to learn, but to be able to get that instant impact for a guy who can start and go right away, like round two is kind of that sweet spot because it's not the price that yeah. you're paying of a first rounder where you're overpaying and it's not risking it. Cause a lot of those round three guys, you look at David Johnson, his biggest knock coming out, Hey, in between the tackles running, he got better at that under Bruce. And then this year, you know, things dropped off a bit, obviously hopefully he can get that back, but that's kind of the peak. So the two guys I'd look at is Taylor because of his speed, I would be fine with giving up some of the pass-catching ability if you're able to say, all right, we've got Chase Edmonds who can take on some of that role, if you're assuming David Johnson's with the team. Being able to pair Kyler's probable 4-3 speed with a Jonathan Taylor's 4-3 speed.
1: It would be unbelievable.
0: It would be incredible. Like Teams would have to then suddenly match up. So when you're talking about if that would be maybe a, I don't want to say best case, but that would be more of the fun case scenario would be you get a CeeDee Lamb explosive type in round one, you pick up a Jonathan Taylor have You'd have your triplets.
1: You'd have desert triplets for the next. You would hope ten years for the first time in forever. Yeah, We've at, had the, two at two least the next five
0: games. years with contracts and all of that yeah, stuff, right? I
1: mean, it would be that would be unbelievable. Yeah, I, you know, I'm a Taylor guy as a as a pure runner and football player, and I do think that Kingsbury prioritizes pass catching backs less so than Arians did. Um, and I, I, you know, Kenyon Drake's a good pass catcher. I don't think mm-hmm. he's a, you know I don't think he's David. Nobody thinks he's David Johnson esque. Um, right. And so I, I think they, they would look past that and just say, and here's another thing, and I always put this in as a caveat. Just because they didn't do it doesn't mean they can't, meaning they didn't throw the ball a heck of a lot at Wisconsin. And Just because they didn't give him a lot of targets in the in the passing game doesn't mean he can't catch the football adequately. I mean, he ran right. for 2,000 years.
0: Yeah, exactly, and I think the other case, if you look at how Kenyon Drake ran last year, the Cardinals didn't really throw the ball downfield a ton, or it wasn't like there was complex routes. A lot of what they did ultimately was ground-and-pound football with the tight ends and having some of those outside swing passes where you could get Drake in space. I think that's the case that you'd look for with a guy like Taylor, and the athleticism is crazy. Like Someone had mentioned at least he probably should go round one, but there's a conversation to be made of like, hey, like, Is this a guy who we're talking about Saquon Barkley going number two overall, and you've got a back who is maybe not quite as talented, but you end up seeing who ends up going at a much, much lower rate? Uh, Dave Gettleman probably would uh, be upset with that. J.K. Dobbins did not work out at the Combine. He'll be there at his pro day. I do think that he's probably at least my second favorite of the – bigger backs in this class as far as that type of, you know, every down going to be kind of your main runner. He's just been a very fluid guy who has the athleticism, the balance. He had a huge touchdown you can see in the Clemson-Ohio State game this year. I think he's a guy who could tote the rock right away, take over. Uh, DeAndre Swift is, for some people, the running back one. He is a very talented pass catcher out of the backfield. I would not be opposed to, like, I would say he's probably maybe my – Third or fourth guy there, if you've got him as running back one or if the Cardinals rate him that highly because of the pass catching, no, not not a problem at all. The guys who are interesting to me are Akers, seem to raise his stock up into round two. But let's talk a little bit about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because if you can get a guy who can suddenly match up and essentially uh, there are teams who wanted him to run routes as a wide receiver. If you can get a guy who can suddenly match up or pull down into the slot or be able to... Uh, be slippery enough and is at a smaller size, kind of like Kyler Murray to slip away. That would be kind of a fun pick. He's probably going to go in somewhere in the top 50 is what's guessed right now, because he is like in some people's eyes, they think he's one of the best 32 players in this draft. Maybe he's not going to go obviously top 32, but he's talented. I think John that, that to me, After that, I see a drop-off. You can like an A.J. Dillon. He's 250 pounds and ran fast, kind of like your Derrick Henry. You can like Antonio Gibson, who was a wide receiver and a running back, at least in college. But I feel like that after that, John, it's kind of a drop-off for that point. So I feel like if you're the Cardinals, you probably don't want to wait too long if that is going to be what you decide to do is to get a running back. But I don't feel like you should force the pick necessarily there either.
1: Yeah, I, I don't either. I mean, there, there are always guys who emerge on day three that we don't under, otherwise know of. Um, I don't think too many of us were familiar with David Johnson uh, at the national level. I, I knew of him based on the pre-draft rankings, but I think a lot of people thought the Cardinals overdrafted him when they took him in the third round. Tim Hightower is another name who was who had a very nice career early on with the Cardinals, helped field their, their Super Bowl run. He went, um, I got Richmond. I think he's where he went in the fifth round. I mean, yeah. you can find backs anywhere. And I always use the example of not only via the draft, but I mean, goodness, the Tennessee or Houston Texans got Carlos Hyde, I think like off of waivers and he ran for a thousand yards for them last year. So I would not stress about it. It's why I wouldn't be so keen on going, you know, Jonathan Taylor, somebody like that at pick 40. It wouldn't be my first choice. I would be fired up about it because I, you know, I love running the football, and I know what Cliff. I think Cliff Kingsbury can produce thousand yard rushers in, in his sleep. Hmm. We saw what he did last year in scheming up production for Drake. But I mean, Blake, if they sign Kenyon Drake, that probably puts a kibosh on them taking it back early, would you say?
0: I I would definitely think so. It'll be interesting to see what Drake's market looks like. It'll also be interesting to see because if you're able to move David Johnson and you save a little bit of cap room, suddenly re-signing Kenyon Drake for, say, it's a three-year deal, two years guaranteed becomes a lot more favorable. Personally, I would look at that and just be like, hey, like the guy who was taken at the 40th pick overall last year in Trayvon Mullen— He went pick number 40 with the Raiders. He signed a seven million dollar deal for four years. If you're gonna be looking at Kenyon Drake, you may be paying him like five to six million dollars a year for the next three years or so. That may be about 21 million dollars. So to me, it's just more of the allocation of resources. I'm like, okay, I would probably pay the second rounder for four years who's got less tread on the tire a lot less, but you already know that he fits and he's there in the scheme and again like we've talked about john the draft and even football is about opportunity cost because if you're going to take one of those stud running backs that's there for you either at 40 or after a trade back you're then going to be possibly costing yourself either taking an offensive tackle a defensive lineman who falls or even another position as well Uh, let's move on from the running backs at least get to day three of the nfl uh, combine i should say not the nfl draft uh, we're going to be talking at least about the, I believe this is the what is it linebackers and defensive line were on the uh, day number three. You've got the combine is going to be now known as the Isaiah Simmons Bowl. Uh, he went and blew up the entire combine. You got other guys like Kenneth Murray, who's a linebacker behind him. Patrick Queen is another guy who kind of cemented his first-round status. John, talk a little bit about the linebackers, especially because there's a Simmons debate that's going on. I don't know if that debate's going to continue after this week. It seems that he's probably not going to get past the Giants or even the Panthers at picks four or seven. Uh, What do you think as far as what the Cardinals and this inside linebacker need that fans have? Personally, I... I'm curious because I know John Gambadoro said today. I think they'd have Derek Brown higher than Isaiah Simmons on the radio. Oh my god! And I was thinking to myself, it doesn't make sense. And then I realized it only makes sense if the Cardinals are already going to be trying to address the inside linebacker position, right. and therefore, In free
1: agency, you'd be looking at
0: taking a defensive tackle. And if that that to me is where I would love that approach, because then you're at least. You're checking the box off, you're fixing, you're bringing an event, you're not having to trust a rookie to have to cover tight ends in a year where you really, really need to cover tight ends. But it is still another case of passing on a guy. And I've I've said, I've argued that he's a safety for a while. I've decided to be open-minded. Someone made a Bobby Wagner comp, and I'm like, I don't totally see it, but as far as the athleticism being the same, the instincts, I'm like, okay. If he was there falling at eight, John, and let's say he's the best player on the Cardinals board, would you take Isaiah Simmons? Why or why not?
1: Yeah, man, it really put me on the spot. Before the Combine, this is going to sound like prisoner of the moment. I would have said no because I'm numb to uh, the Cardinals taking out of position inside (laughs) linebackers in the first Uh, round. God forbid. Here's what what I'll say about Isaiah Simmons. He checks the box on film. He he is a generational—I believe now he's a generational type of player. Prospect, I should say. That Combine performance was— something to behold it was superior to players like julio jones i mean think about that and then you watch the film and he's the best player on the field like what more does he have to do so if he's there at eight and you know let's just assume akuta's gone chase young's gone and it's it's between him Wirfs and Ceedee lamb i mean you, you're probably gonna have just based on value and let's say they don't this is could be all mute in like a week and a half because they could go out and give Corey Littleton you know thirty million guaranteed or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But let's let's say they sign like a marginal placeholder inside backer in free agency. Simmons somehow falls to them. I I don't know how you how you can pass on him after all that he has done. He is a he is a better prospect as a player. Put positional value aside than than C D Lamb is and Tristan Wirf. I love those players. I, I want them both mm-hmm. on the team. But he he's a top—here I here are my top four prospects in this draft in order. I think Chase Young's the best player. I think Akuta is right behind him, and I think he's a Patrick Peterson type of corner. Tua is my third overall player. And then Isaiah Simmons is four. Isaiah Simmons, to me, he's won me over— they they would have to know how to utilize him, but that's not mm-hmm. Isaiah Simmons' problem. Like I keep hearing people, well, we would butcher how he would be utilized. Well, they didn't butcher it with Kyler Murray, and I know we don't have a Kingsbury on defense. But goodness, he, I, I, how how wouldn't he walk into this team, lead them in tackles, have a handful of sacks, handful of picks, and just be instantly one of their best players defensively, mm-hmm. and and they have an immediate answer to help with the tight end concern. Yes, I would take him. I don't think he I, – I think this is going to be fun to archive and we can look back at this conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's going to go above them. I thought that there was a chance that he would fall to them before the combine. Combined with this performance and then Devin White last year, I fi- forgot, went fifth overall. Yeah. But before then, you know, we had a little bit of a run with, with Keekley and Roquan Smith going 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Like that was kind of the range for off-ball inside linebackers. Sure. Now we're, we're seeing like they're they're up there with the edge rushers and the D tackles. So and I think he's a better prospect than Devin White. So uh, he's going to go top five, top six, and it's going to be moot. Um, and if they sign Corey Littleton, they sign the kid from Cleveland like they're not going to take an inside linebacker. Certainly early, but let's say they get a placeholder and they go CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy or worse or Okuda in the first round. I would love a Kenneth Murray. Kenneth Murray is f- mm. a phenomenal football player. And I think too much has been made about how poor that Oklahoma defense is historically, but they were better this year. Um, I love the kid from LSU. I think, you know, if you can get Patrick queen at the top of the second, he's not Kevin oh, Minter. Gosh. He's much more I'd athletic. Love,
0: I just can't see him getting out of no, no the no, no. first round, obviously, but
1: those are the only two players I think that would warrant any other kind of consideration if you're trading down, it's something, something crazy would have to happen. I just don't think as much mm-hmm. as I like the top three prospects at inside backer in this class, I just don't think the stars are going to, are going to align for the Cardinals based on where they're picking. And then based on, I have been given good sense that they're going to address. And then this, everybody, anybody could say this based on the writings on the wall. They're going to spend their money in free agency on the front seven defensively. Yeah, That's inside linebackers. That's an an edge rusher opposite Chandler Jones. And that's the defensive line. And I I would not surprise. They went after CJ Mosley hard last year. They ended up with Jordan Hicks. They see Corey Littleton twice a year. He's kicked their butt for three years with Sean McVay. He's been groomed. Mm -hmm. He's he's in line to make a big payday. He's not going to get franchise tag. They don't have the money to compete with other teams in free agency. I, I have, I do not have a, a, a source linking them to the, linking him to the Cardinals. Like I do, I think Marcus Golden has a good chance to come back.
0: Yeah, Littleton, but, we at least know the scheme fit is there because of okay. the fact that it's a Wade Phillips defense. That's what Vance Joseph runs.
1: I think that is more likely. But, I mean, I I just – I commend the work that Simmons has done because I just – I was – I remember tweeting the national championship game. I'm like, I I would be disappointed if the Cardinals took him because, like what you're saying, Blake, like, oh, he, he might be a safety. Well, well, we heard that about Dayon Buchanan, and then we heard that Hassan Redick might be an edge rusher. And
0: mm-hmm. then
1: and I hear, you know, people within the media saying, well, Isaiah Simmons' best position might be outside linebacker. And I'm like, Man, do I don't do we want to do this again? Whereas like take mm-hmm. CeeDee Lamb, he's your ex receiver. You take Tristan Wirce, he's your right tackle. You take Jeff Akuda, he's opposite Patrick Peterson. You know, you just you feel good about it. Even like with Byron Murphy last year. We're hearing like, well, he's going to play slot corner. Well, you didn't draft him to play slot corner. You're just now saying that because he struggled as a rookie. So, like,
0: yeah. And it's also there's a lot of really good slot receivers that are there. And when you're talking about him being able to blitz off of the edge, it's like I can see some of the the value that's in there. If you, your hope obviously is he turns into a Chris Harris who is a slot corner who's more than a slot corner who can travel and follow guys around. And I think you will be,
1: And I don't want this to be like I'm down on him, but I just you're you're picking somebody. who who you're deeming as the eighth best player in a draft of 250 plus players, that individual can't come in the day the OTA start and their position is locked in. Now, there's a learning curve for everybody. Mm -hmm. Kyler Murray came in last year and was in control of the offense, in control of the quarterback position, and I get it, it was a unique scenario. The player that we take eighth needs to come in right away and be, I don't think it's crazy to say, one of the best players on the team by the end of the season. Yeah,
0: Either especially in a talented draft like this, that's the, your hope what, because there's with, not with as the much Cardinals talent here. roster how it is. They have, they
1: have a, a huge drop-off. They're it's huge
0: not a high drop-off. bar to, to be no, one of the young I core players. So
1: yeah. would come in, and he would be immediately in that group with Chandler Jones and Patrick Peterson and Buda Baker. Uh, I, that, that that, he would be better than you would. The expectation is he would be better than Jordan Hicks by the end of the season. Yeah. If you're telling me that that's, that's who we're getting. And I I think you would, then of course I'm going to take him.
0: Yeah. It's kind of the, the, the athleticism and all of everything that comes into him. I don't think I'm down on that part of the thing that I've been a little cautious about is on one hand, I do feel like that a lot of the plays and stuff that he makes that coverage is something that you'll want. So you want to get those athletes on the field, I'd be curious as to how much his role and Buddha's role, if you use Buddha correctly, would cross over. would be one thing. Like, if you're going to say, hey, we're going to end up moving him into the Will linebacker role and have it where at times he'll be able to cover, whether it's tight ends or corners, I think like almost as like a strong safety. I think that's great. A lot of that's what Buddha did last year, so you'd have to find where he's going to move to. If you had told me that the Cardinals had a great DC who they're building around that's on the uprise for that one, like, uh, I think there would be a lot more confidence I would have. If you're talking about you're drafting this guy, bringing him in, and then you're not sure exactly what's going to happen, how are you going to use him? There's even questions if Vance used guys like, you know, with how Reddick had to move positions, how Buddha even didn't get comfortable because he had to play so much around last year after Swearinger was gone. It took a while for Jalen Thompson to get in. I think that the benefit that you'll be able to get and the impact is not as impactful as a position like a lamb would be like, obviously like in a, obviously like a Kuda young who are the top two guys, obviously I think in this draft or even like, um, you know, right. Tackle would be for the Cardinals. And even though like, it's one of those cases where it's like, man, this guy, he is such a freak. You're like, it's like, he's like captain America. You're like, someone get this man a shield because he's going to like protect, you know, people from any of the things he's like the, the mighty defender, I still think that this is one of those cases where if he's there at the Cardinals, they took him, I'd be content with it. My one concern would be, is this a case where, like you said, over time we look back on the pick and we just go, yeah, you know what? He wasn't exactly what we thought he was. He's a great player for that overall, but he wasn't like that defining total player. I think he could totally be that generational player. I'm just not totally sure of it, at least for the Cardinals, and at least for right now. Uh, I I will say this, um, Kenneth Murray – uh, he's apparently just this super high-quality, high-caliber dude as well. I'm excited to see where he goes. Again, it's kind of almost sad that the Cardinals didn't play themselves into a higher pick this year because you could have then two K. Murrays drafted from Oklahoma two years in a row. Uh, he's the son of a preacher, has multiple like special needs kids that his family has adopted they take care of. He's had apparently some of the best combine interview people, uh, people who are in the building said that have ever had. He's one of those spiritual leader guys. I'm excited to see where he ends up. Here's a name for you to consider if you're still looking for the inside linebacker need. Malik Harrison, that Ohio State linebacker, essentially is a guy who could plug right into another inside linebacker role. Very instinctual, great player, um, solid athleticism with all of that too. If he's a guy that you can pull up and find in round three with all the other guys moving around... That would be a really solid pick, I think, for the Cardinals. I don't think that he's a guy who will be there in round four, unfortunately. Uh, The defensive line, we're going to have to kind of breeze through because we got just the defensive line and the secondary that's left. D-line, the underperformers that you saw today were the headline. You saw Neville Gallimore out of Oklahoma rise up a lot of the boards just because he was moving at speeds that most defensive linemen at that size don't move. But you saw Derek Brown just not perform as well athletically, and there's questions some people are having about his upside as a pass rusher. You also had the same thing happen with A.J. Epineza, who is the – he's almost the guy who I feel like is like – Maybe not quite your Marcus Golden type, but someone said the best comparison to him is he's like Zach Allen. Zach Allen got early first-round hype. He tested out, and he's much more of that five-tech guy versus that bendy guy off of the edge. I don't think that he's a guy you'd look for at round two because I think you already have that guy, so you can kind of move him out of a lot of the boards. But this whole Derek Brown thing, John, it seems like a lot of it stems from people saying, hey, you got to stop the run, you got to stop the run, you got to stop the run. And I think the Cardinals did a fine job of that last year. It wasn't like it was a huge issue with Wilkes. I think that they definitely need to address the position. But to talk about taking this guy at 8th overall compared to the players who are there, I just feel like this combine, if he would shown up and was a freak and pulled off that Clinton-Williams type hype, even in year one, you're not going to get production out of an interior guy. That's just how it is. It's usually year two, year three, year four. You'll see the interior guys produce. I just think that he moved himself maybe not completely off of the Cardinals draft board, but for who we're expecting to be there, I don't see them picking him right now, unless there's a major, major trade back and he falls to them.
1: That was one of the, probably the, I think that was the biggest disappointment um, amongst like casual watchers of the draft that he didn't perform. He was the marquee defensive tackle in this class. And I think he did. Have, I mean, he wasn't underperforming. I mean, some of his numbers were the worst at the position unit. I mean, think about that. Right. He's getting top five, top seven buzz, getting mocked left and right above Arizona, and he's finishing last in like the three cone drills. He, yeah, it's his 35th, explosiveness, thirty
0: fifth, I think, out of thirty eight players, I believe it that, was for the forty what, times for some what? of those. You, yeah. c-
1: you can't, you can't just correlate. Well, the Cardinals need defensive line help. And his tapes really, I everybody in my mentions saying, well, did you watch his tape? Well, everybody's got good tape that's projected to go in the top ten or the top twenty. Then you separate yourself at the combine, or you certainly try to not, you know, catapult yourself, you know, into the ocean with your performance. And his was he, it was very difficult to watch. It looked like in certain instances he was lo- looking moving in slow motion. You take a tackle, a defensive tackle, in the top ten, the expectation is he can rush the passer from the interior as an interior disruptor. You can find guys like Rodney Gunter in the fifth round to come in or the fourth round to come in and be predominantly run stuffers on the defensive line. Like they're two down players, first and second down, they're going to play the run. They're you know blue-collar guys that can come in, lunch pill workers, but they don't have that explosiveness that makes them first round that's what the Cardinals thought they were getting with Kim Dicci. they thought mm-hmm. because they saw in glimpses at Old Miss that he was explosive they had it in Darnell Dockett and Calais Campbell his five techniques that's what Derek Brown would need to be if you're taking him eighth overall there's nothing that gives me any kind of sense that he's that he's done that based on his combine performance I had questions before the combine I didn't like him as a as a top 10 prospect ahead of time. Everybody said, we'll put the tape on the SEC, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, we just did that with Kim Dichy. Now two totally different players with different concerns. Kim Dichy's was not necessarily predominantly on the field was off the field, although he took snaps off, but Brown to me, he just seems like he's that quintessential player that we hype up when the draft process starts. But the closer we get to the draft, it's like this guy probably belongs in like the mid to late teens. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I hope he gets it together, and he probably has a really good pro day. This probably accelerates, you know, yeah. his sense of urgency. Whereas a lot of guys probably aren't going to work out now if they perform well. But I do not see a defensive tackle or an edge rusher outside of Trey or Chase Young that is worthy of the eighth pick. Then you start talking about well, they could trade down and get well. Then how much are you doing yourself a disservice if that if that happens? To me, right now there are nine players in this draft. That are worth the the eighth pick, uh, outside of position, right? They're the they're the three quarterbacks. I or the three quarterbacks I think are are blue chip players. Probably maybe only the the two quarterbacks I should say. Mm-hmm. Young, Akuda, Tuo, Simmons, Burrow, Werfs Lamb. I like Wills Jr. more than most, and Judy. I yeah. though in my opinion those are the. the nine blue chip prospects that will probably whittle down as we get close to the draft. And I've I've got ten.
0: I've got ten of those. Mine are the exact same list. I just add Henry Ruggs on there because of the speed and the fact that he's very developed, which you can argue one or the other. He's going to go later than some of the other guys who are there, but what I want to touch in, John, also is just the production. When you're talking about the athleticism, you also want to look at the production. This is a guy who people have said, hey, he's a number two player on the board. You take a look at a lot of the statistics, and a lot of it's been that he is, you obviously Obviously, great story, guy who works very hard. I don't know if it's going to be quite of a Jonathan Allen who falls down a bit for each of those, but you take a look at comparing That's a good just, comparison, yeah, though. You, when well, you talk about Jonathan the pro Washington. level, he went a lot of people like, hey, he's going to go top three, he'll go top five, and he went probably around the 14s or so. I still think he could go higher than that because of needs, but you just compare him to last year's pick in Quinnen Williams and we don't even look at the careers. Quinnen had a two-year career at Alabama versus a four-year career, but if you look at the last years, you talk about Derek Brown had 11.5 tackles for loss and four sacks. That's what you're supposed to do as a defensive player. You can look at tackles, obviously, but are you getting upfield and getting those tackles for loss, and are you getting interior pressure? Because that's got to be what you have for those top ten picks. Quinnen, in his final year at Alabama, had 19 and a half tackles for last and eight sacks. So you're talking about almost double the production in that uh, last year. It's not year. Even close. It's, it's not, not even close. close. So to me, that's a case where I agree. I think that Brown has been also propped up a bit because of the fact that there isn't really a lot of defensive tackle talent in this class. And while I do like the prospect a lot, I agree with you, John. I don't think I love it enough when you're talking about the Cardinals picking at eight. So for me, I think if you're looking for a defensive tackle, there's some other guys like um, I think it was like, was it Marlin? I believe is one of the other. He's kind of his teammate at Auburn who was there. There's some other players that you can have that you can look at as far as if you do want to find ones. I don't know if Gallimore, I don't think he's going to fall to the second round. Other players on the defensive line who are some there. You're probably looking at much more of a defensive tackle than an end is what I would guess. There's still some edge rushers there like Bradley and I. There's some other guys who are there. James Lynch out of Baylor looks nice. Marlon Davidson is the name there. We've also got a guy like Raquan Davis in Alabama. He may be there in round two or three. I think that overall, John, when you're talking about the defensive line and the help, I think the Cardinals can get by for about a year, and the next year you could look at, if you want to find that guy who's that interior rusher, Maybe you take him with one of those to see what the class is like or look in a position like free agency. Maybe even, hey, if you can make the playoffs, make a trade. I think right now, if I had to say from all of this, Derek Brown, because he lowered himself for the Cardinals needs out of it. I think that you're probably going to be looking at him as probably out of the other three positions, You uh, three positions you look at from wide receiver tackle and um, what was it? Uh, a linebacker like Simmons, or maybe even a coverage guy, he's probably four out of four, and I don't think it's really close. So the no. last spot that we'll look at at least, there's safeties and defensive backs. The name to kind of look at here obviously would be, and this is something I had to kind of um, look at if we finish tonight, there is a very, very small possibility, depending on how things work out, that Jeffrey Okuda could end up falling down to a spot where he's close enough to the cardinals pick or he comes to the cardinals pick and i'll lay this out let's say that joe burrow goes at number one and then at number two to a tag of iloa ends up being the pick but it's not necessarily um to the uh miami dolphins it could very well end up being a pick to the redskins let's say that's the case because then you're talking about a pick number three with the Lions. All of a sudden, Chase Young, who wasn't supposed to be there, now suddenly is there. Uh, Maybe it is a pick that goes to the Dolphins in a trade-up at two. The pick number four, we're assuming, will be Isaiah Simmons, right? Simmons to New York seems like a thing, and it's interesting because I mentioned this a few months ago. When Dave Gettleman took over and started his rebuild job in Carolina, first thing that he did was he went out and got in an inside linebacker. It's one of the first things he did. The first thing that he did when he was in New York... Went out and got Alec Ogletree, inside linebacker. Traded, overpaid for the guy as well. Would not shock me to have him do the same thing in a rebuild now with Isaiah Simmons, a guy who's potentially got more talent than any of them. Pick number five, now you're talking that's interesting where the Skins, if they traded down, you've got some really serious questions. Do you go with the cornerback? Do you go with an offensive tackle? I think in this scenario, you could see a guy like Tristan Wirfs potentially go, or even a Mackay Becton, at five, because you're not sure what's going to go on with Trent Williams. So if that's the case, and you talk about a Justin Herbert goes at quarterback, then it comes down to the Carolina Panthers. If the Panthers, like we hear, love Derek Brown, or if they end up looking at Tristan Wirfs following all this way, maybe even this possibility of the New York Jets or the uh, the Cleveland Browns, they look at Carolina and say, hey, Carolina, you got to rebuild. Tristan Wirfs, he may be there. Arizona may take him. I got to get up there and jump the Arizona Cardinals and get to seven. Suddenly, Jeffrey Okuda and CeeDee Lamb are sitting there at pick number eight. And, John, I believe the Cardinals would not take Lamb. I think that you would have to take the corner who falls to you. Now, personally, in my opinion, I think that he would go at pick number five or pick number maybe even six if the Chargers don't get a quarterback or aren't able to trade up. He could even go at seven for that one. I could see that happening, but if he falls, do you think this is a positive for Cardinals fans to essentially pass on this guy that everyone wants in lamb to take another cornerback when you already have Pat P and you already have a veteran and you already have a corner you drafted last year? Would this be a good move in your opinion? If that was the case, that's
1: That's a scenario in which you just have to say, screw it for the position outside of quarterback. And you just, you look at and say, I'm getting one of the three best players in this draft. I mean, he, His tape is elite. His footwork's elite. His his forty time, I think was
0: it was four four eight. It wasn't quite top five. He was weaving at the beginning,
1: and I think he'll I think he'll be in the fourth threes as his pro day. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, Joe Hayden Um, was
0: a guy who ran, I think, with a four five plus forty. He still won top five. Has had a very good career. Uh, Give me the last.
1: Give give me the last uh, defensive back for the Ohio state to not be a superstar that they were taken early. I mean, they, they've all come in Marion Conley.
0: Is that the one? I think that's the only one I can yeah. think of for that. But eye. I mean, he but,
1: was yeah. th- thought of in the same realm as like Denzel Ward and some of these he other guys. All. Um, so I, I just think in, in that scenario, you would have to take him. Um, and I don't, I, I think it's, again, I think it's similar to Simmons where it's moot now, but I, Akuta reminds me of Peterson. I think he's a bigger version of Peterson and I, he's 6'1", 200. His upper body is just phenomenal. I mean, yeah. he he's a little, he looks little light. lighter than he's
0: Peterson. Right? Peterson was around two twenty because people yeah, thought he'd, he'd have to was move to safety. In the lower body. I mean, I yeah, he and- just looks. He's very fluid. He's got the long... The biggest thing, obviously, is the long arms that you have a lot of pass breakups. It is a case, like I've said, the board for me, at least, because you're not looking at a quarterback, would go... uh, One would probably just be young because of the need for a pass rusher, but I could even make an argument that, hey, you probably could have him as the number one player on the Cardinals board just because of the lack of great positive cover corners and the fact that, hey, if Patrick Peterson's on the last year of his deal, if you're talking about the Cardinals... Uh, if they're not able to re-sign him to a long-term deal and you're suddenly saying, hey, we've got this guy who's a great, cheaper option potentially, maybe you end up starting to look at Peterson as a guy who you don't have to necessarily keep around or you just say, hey, we are going to keep Peterson as long as we can. We've got a cheap corner on the other side across from him and we've got He's Byron cheap... Murphy. Then you may be uh, in a I... really good scenario with that as well.
1: He's a better corner coming out than Peterson was more refined. I mean, yeah, Peterson I made, his, made his money early on as a returner, as a showman,
0: and with elite athleticism to yeah, recover, he, a, he would mess he was, up and then probably recover. Probably better
1: athletes, but I mean, I, I think I read Akuda didn't have like a penalty last year. I mean, he, he didn't have like a holding penalty. He was unbelievable. He, he, I think he's Ohio State. I'm reading it now. Has sent ten quarterbacks in the, in the first round since 1999. Wow, and and it's, that's unbelievable. That's like you're basically averaging one every other year and i think he's got a chance to be maybe the best of that group um, even lance zerling who is i don't i don't think he throws around praise all that often he's nfl.com writer draft analyst he he outright says Okuda is comparable to patrick peterson that's his pro comp yeah um so i think you're you're saying that we look at this this group of players that the cardinals are, are attempting to put together who is the, in this next group of cardinal greats where we can try to win a championship, right? We're, we're, I know we like to look at this year in a bubble, and we're looking at Murray's you know, rookie contract. But like, who's part of that next core to, to have a window? Well, Murray, for sure. Hopefully some guys like Buda Baker, some of these younger players. You're telling me Jeff Okuda, even if you don't like the idea of taking him over C.D. Lamb, couldn't come in and be a be a seven time pro bowler for this team and have a seamless transition where you're not paying Patrick Peters Peterson eight figures, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen million dollars, and you can allocate that somewhere else. And you've got, I mean he's he's an incredibly selfless player. He wants to be on an island. He's not like Jalen Ramsey. He's he he just goes about his business. He's from Texas. Mm-hmm. He's got that familiarity with Murray. I'm sure they knew each other. I mean just Oh yeah,
0: you Lamb if you watch there's videos you can find on Twitter of C D Lamb and Jeff Okuda going up against each other in high school. In where high school, yeah. So there's passes that Okuda breaks up and then you see like Lamb make an awesome adjustment, get wide open for that one for a deep pass on Okuda. He's not gonna
1: be there, and I think somebody yeah. would move up to get him. Um You'd but think
0: so. You'd think so.
1: <laughs> in my opinion, he he's only behind Chase Young as a prospect yeah. in this
0: draft and that's more just because of pass rushers is just that value for right. me he may for me i would probably say because of i think that you can find at least decent pass rusher it's just finding like general you know, elite guys i you you say you find a generational pass rusher every single year i don't think you find a jeff okuda every single year and that's why i would have him as my number one prospect on my entire big board because you're assuming you know joe burrow is not something that you're looking at i think quarterback i'd put that up as number one i think he's going to be great but i would have okuda as one over young and for me like the impact would be hey you were 31st against the pass last year as arizona you add a Jeff Okuda, you will not be 31st against the pass next year. That would be, I think, another instant impact that would at least be able to bring around some winning for you. And I would be like still a bit sad because I'd love to see the explosion you could see with the Lamb. But if he was there at eight, I would just be like, hey, just don't, don't, don't just run in the, run in the card to the podium. Like get Andy Isabella, the fastest guy in your team, and have him run up the card to the podium. But like you said, John, I do fully believe that he's going to be gone, whether it's going to be to a team like Detroit, whether someone does trade. Uh, up it just these type of guys and players don't usually end up leaving the top five you would have to take a very special case in scenario and even still i think that you would end up with a team at either carolina taking him or someone trying to make a move up for him at least because that position is just far too valuable so uh, that's kind of my big board I'd have. I'd have okuda would be one young two i would have lamb three simmons is tough because you could say the overall big board you could probably say he would be up there above it for me the personal need would push him down a bit and then you'd have Worfs, and then I would follow that up with, I would put Judy and Ruggs at least ahead of, uh, at least uh, probably Judy slightly ahead of Wills. Ruggs might be a better fit for the Cardinals. I could see that as being, and then Becton would kind of round out my top nine overall. Um, John, is that kind of any differences that you would have for yourself personally as we wrap up tonight's combine breakdown?
1: Yeah, I mean, looking at it, I you know I said who I thought were the nine best players in the draft it's the two quarterbacks chase young Akuda simmons i i think that and then there's a big drop off after the two wide receivers and the, and the two tackles um and so i think where it really gets interesting is like okay like is jerry judy vulnerable for somebody like henry ruggs because he was outperformed at the combine can beckton look good because he kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people in his pro day but i think when you look at the it's it's crazy because last year was such an unknown, and I think that's what made the drama great. This year, I mean, like Chase Young, Okuda, Tua, Burrow, it, for sure, all seem like top five locks. So it's like, okay, does does Simmons get to the Giants? Does get them and pull the trigger and know how to use them? You know, does does Judy go ahead of Lamb? Do people prefer one or the other? Um, and then, you know, I just think that after you get past Jerry Judy at nine. There's a big drop off mm. for that next group of players, even though I have rugs, you know, at 11, I beck in at 10. So it's not like I'm writing these guys off. I just prefer the count- their counterparts at the position. But you know, I'm high on guy. I think Kenneth Murray is a top 15 player in this draft. A lot of people don't. I just I watch his tape and I think you know he's a 10 year starter at inside linebacker. He'll make a couple of Pro Bowls. You know, Justin Herbert I, I, is a top 20 player that's going to get drafted in the top six, seven because of positional value. Um, I just th- do not go toward need because there are so few defensive tackles worth taking highs. my advice to the team. Right. Like they would listen, but like it's a weak defensive line class. It's a weak edge class. You know, it's not weekend quarter or quarterbacks defense, or excuse me, quarterbacks, offensive tackles and receivers. Yeah. And you have and to running backs too. You those. got, you
0: got running backs right. at the so top of the second. As well as strong.
1: This isn't a hard draft for them. I just, I feel like people are like freaking out. Like, they, they're they going to have two or three really good players, if not more, to pick from, and and I'm going to be content with it because I know the value of it, unless they go out of completely out of left field. But it just feels like things are very much like the dust is going to settle now, and it's going to be like we talked about before we went on air tonight, Blake. It like mm-hmm. really does feel like – doesn't it feel like outside of Okuda and Simmons somehow falling and, and entering the conversation, Judy Lamb or Wirfs is going to be the pick?
0: yeah i feel like it's unless they really really like we're looking at a tackle and because of what they talked about at the combine of having that confidence in justin murray and we even talked to i think in the uh, text message today like they're expecting that cordy glenn may be cut from the Bengals because they just need the cap savings you could bring him you could bring back um even marcus gilbert just finding another veteran guy to be able to compete it, it just feels like that the offensive line for the cardinals is not as bad as people are saying now I think it could have the potential to get bad if you don't hedge your bets and bring in other players. But it does really feel like you're down to essentially, hey, it's probably going to be CD Lamb is what it looks like. Maybe you'd go with a guy like Wirfs if you feel like the value of the board is there or higher. And it's not to say that it's down to one guy, but it's like it feels like it really could be down ultimately to just those two positions right now because of the value and the strength of the draft is wide receiver and offensive tackle. And if you get to the second round and you want a running back because you feel like that you can get a star there, sure, go for it. But play to the strengths of the draft. And I think that I'd be rather getting the best of the wide receivers and a really awesome, strong wide receiver class. Um, You could even look at it like, would you rather get the guy who was drafted in the second round of the 2011 NFL draft, or would you rather have a guy who could be the Julio Jones and the A.J. Green to pair with Kyler Murray? And it's a guy he's played with before. So for me, I've been on the C.D. Lamb train, I guess you could say, for a little while at least and wondering if it was going to work out. I think the Cardinals are in a perfect position to be able to take him. I think it'd be a very exciting draft for a lot of Cardinals fans. Um, we're going to plan on being there, at least in Las Vegas to be able to give some of the updates. We'll have more on that for right now, though, for the rest of our time leading up to free agency, we'll be focusing on that with the free agent in the upcoming episodes coming on. We'll pass on any more news as we hear it. As far as that one, um, John, obviously being able to work those sauces, at least as you can say, uh, thanks again for tuning in everyone. John, could you uh, wrap up with letting the listeners know where you'll be and where all of the mock drafts that you'll be posting will End up being as well.
1: No, I, I promise I won't go crazy on the mock draft front. Uh, I'm at Johnny Touchdown on Twitter, and then, of course, here at the ROT, ROTB podcast and com as well. Blake, where can they find? your content this offseason.
0: Yeah, it'll also be on Revenge of the Birds and at Blake Murphy 7 on Twitter. Thanks again. It's a long episode. I, we're probably having this one split into two parts at least as well with the, between the positional groups. Uh, we never did a pre-Combine preview for the most part, so this kind of wrapped up a lot of those things as well and then really clarified, I think, a lot of things for the Cardinals. Again, remember, it is going to enter lying season now. The Combine is usually the last few nuggets of truth that you'll get. And just crazy, just about a year ago, John, I was recording this time, Uh, We were talking, could Kyler Murray be the guy for the Arizona Cardinals? And it feels like it was a lifetime ago.
1: Thank, Thank God for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next time. And make sure that you listen and subscribe to the ROTB pod.